Hey listeners, as a salute and goodbye to Pride Month 2020, we wanted to begin our episode today with a word about the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Marsha P. Johnson was an activist, self-identified drag queen, performer, and survivor. She was a prominent figure in the Stonewall Uprising of 1969, and she's widely credited as throwing the shot glass that prompted the queer liberation movement that started with the Stonewall Riot. The P in Marsha P. Johnson's stands for Pay It No Mind. The Marsha P. Johnson Institute, or MPJI, protects and defends the human rights of black transgender people. They do this by organizing, advocating, creating an intentional community to heal, developing transformative leadership, and promoting the collective power of black transgender Americans. The MPJI was founded both as a response to the murders of black trans women and women of color, and how that is connected to their exclusion from social justice issues, namely racial, gender, and reproductive justice, as well as gun violence. In the show notes, we have linked some resources for action you can take both to help the MPJI and also ways to help in the fight for justice for the killers of Breonna Taylor and Elijah McClain. There's no pride for some of us without liberation for all of us. Marsha, pay it no mind, Johnson. All Black Lives Matter. Happy Pride. Sister Mary Ignatius crosses back to center stage and addresses the problem that concerns her. To answer your question, Sodom is where they committed acts of homosexuality and bestiality in the Old Testament, and God, infuriated by this, destroyed them all in one fell swoop. Modern-day Sodoms are New York City, San Francisco, Amsterdam, Los Angeles, well, basically anywhere where the population is over 50,000. The only reason that God has not destroyed these modern-day Sodoms is that Catholic nuns and priests live in these cities, and God does not wish to destroy them. He does, however, give these people body lice and hepatitis. It's so hard to know why God allows wickedness to flourish. I guess it's because God wants man to choose goodness freely of his own free will. Sometimes one wonders if free will is worth all the trouble if there's going to be so much evil and unhappiness, but God knows best, presumably. If it were up to me, I might be tempted to wipe out cities and civilizations, but luckily for New York and Amsterdam, I'm not God. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. The plane's the thing. It's the most wonderful time in six months oh hey 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 we're against christmas eating fecal matter on the well, we're on christmas um yeah how you guys doing well all right but i should bring up something that just occurred to me and bailey sure. you weren't in on this okay uh i sent cj a very tasteful and very respectful uh farting gif uh, okay. And and I received 
sort of a negative like reaction to it and it was charming it okay. was you know okay. yeah. and, and sure. so now sure. i feel like this episode is going to be about me and cj kind of button heads <laughs> we're, we're going to work that out on or the what's no no not butting heads what's the word uh, picking on cj that's what i'm going to do today what Wow. Wow. Okay. How is no, that different? Sure. No, that you're different one of my favorites. Well, you often pick on me. You well, often. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> farting is gross. Burping is funny. Farting comes out of your butt. Ew. Burping's funny. I don't know, man. Shakespeare dug farting. Yeah, well, Mouths and butts Shakespeare are the didn't same exist thing. like Jesus. Mouth and butts are the same thing. <laughs> oh. Quote of the day, mic drop, we're done. Christopher Durang. Bye, everybody. All right. uh, I think that is basically Durang in a nutshell. Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater theater people made by three theater theater makers from the LA theater theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burkham. I'm CJ Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And we're members of the Sacred Fools Theater Company, and each week we bring, uh, well, I don't know what we bring, but we come together <laughs> and we, we talk about plays and playwrights that we have strong opinions on, and we discuss, debate, and disseminate them all. And this, my friends, is our uh, end of Pride Month tribute to Christopher, the Christopher Duray. What yeah. a delight. Did you plan that what a delight. When, you, when you dropped the schedule that we would do... Kushner yeah. and Durang, two, two gay men uh, in Pride Month. Topical. I mean, I'm thrilled. That was the plan. I'm I, there was I When we created our kind of like wish list of the first season, these two stood out. And when I when we were making the actual schedule, I was like, this totally works. And so I threw it in there. Um, but also, you know, I think I've said this at the beginning. We had a little Black Lives Matter uh thing at the beginning of our last couple episodes and maybe we'll throw it onto this one i don't know how we're feeling we'll see but i do want to say uh either way that um we are going to be focusing on some black playwrights and some other uh playwrights of color mm -hmm. um during this season and next season and other seasons but we're really focusing on it but we wanted to have guests for each of those yeah. because obviously the three of us being white people don't feel like we want to just talk about it just the three of us we want to bring on people who we respect and and actually have uh, a, a voice that can relate and can be on the same page so we want to do that absolutely i, I got to... something to say about august wilson no don't scott no uh, <laughs> don't, scott. Please don't. yeah we're gonna do a lot of listening on those episodes and a lot of just like uh, question asking and getting to the bottom of like you know how uh the community feels about them and i'm excited about that yeah. but today we're we're still celebrating pride uh, thankfully, and it's going strong. There's been some great celebration, mm -hmm. not the kind that we wanted. Right. You know, yeah. quarantine has put a, a damper on that, but you know, it, it's all good things. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to read a quote before we, uh, before we get into yeah. this. And this Ooh. is, we can, Ooh. this can kind of start our conversation on Durang. This is a Lanford Wilson quote, another mm -hmm. playwright I'm a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. And he says, theater is the only real public forum that an openly gay writer has. Hmm. And I think when he said that, which I should find a year before I said, you know, I think that may have been the case yeah. in America. Yeah. I mean, I think social media has changed that, but it's also created sure. um, uh, a green eyed monster on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Well put. Well put. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, here, here. Um, yeah, you can't really dispute that. And, and, you know, I think that what not to digress too much before we get into to mr durang but like i think one of the things that scares me about 
everything's being shut down and Broadway being shut down, which I don't necessarily think is a bad yeah. thing. And now Fringe uh, is and, canceled. And, oh, and yeah, Hollywood Fringe, Hollywood Fringe is, has been canceled. And um, Sorry if we're where you're officially hearing that. Yeah. No, it is, no, no, it's, but, it's yeah. public by it's now. It's official. But, um, that's for sure. Um, but and 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 I'm sorry because you two both had you had a piece that was going to be in the yeah, two of you. I had a piece. I, I wasn't going to see it, but was No, mean, it was marvelous because I you I got to see and hear readings and see its evolution. So you know, but um, three. Yeah, it was a play I wrote. Three guys, one group. On. I think we talked about it on yeah. the last. Ad, It'll write again. Uh, It'll it'll come back because CJ is uh, plays uh, uh, an amazing character named Stanimal, <laughs> uh, who went to MIT. Yes, by the way. <laughs> uh, and uh, is a brilliant person. And uh, that's that's a, a big passion project for us. That will oh yeah sure see the light of day again. Oh yeah, oh Stanimal's sure. the best. The best. <laughs> well, you wrote uh, but yeah, we'll get into well, that. Well, and and it's just it's it's just um, there was some amazing women in that play. Playing sure. Absolutely. And shout out to the women of Three Guys One Group. Her, yes. her, her, her. Group uh, on non spawn. You guys are the way, best. You guys are the best. <laughs> anyway, what are your like first initial thoughts on Durang? Were, were you liking him? Were you fucking hating him? Because I know Siege, you had some thoughts. What's that? I. About? What's I had, that about? I, what the fuck is that? What are you doing? Why, are you thinking? Why do you have thoughts? <laughs> Did I tell you to think? Um, I enjoyed. I so my two main takeaways for Durang was he is gay Chekhov from the 1980s, um, sure. and I'll and I loved it. it. I was even it. though like all of his stuff is so funny and and absurdist to a point. Like I was kind of having a ton of breakthroughs while reading it. It was explaining a lot of my childhood to me. And um, the other thing that I just enjoyed so much about him too was, boy, the way he formats his scripts, especially with characters like Kushner, who I enjoyed reading Kushner, he would have these monstrous, huge descriptions of each character in the beginning. And there were so many characters and this character plays this character to the point that I'd I'd have to like if I was reading actual physical script, I had to dog ear the script so I could flip back and forth. But with yep. this, it just the way he lays it out, I just I there was never any confusion about who people were talking and it made it made it easier for me to read personally. That's nice. And also like few characters. Yes. Which is always really nice to hold on to. It's like, okay, there's seven. I can really grasp every one of them. Whereas sometimes with Kushner it was like, okay, so there's who is this? Fifteen people, and they they play three people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Carol Churchill too was the Absolutely. same way. Absolutely. Like, okay, so they're who? Okay, great. Uh, yeah. Um, it's it's funny because, uh, and I'm going to date myself. I am older than both of you. Uh, we represent no. three different decades. We do, we do, we do, we do generations. Yeah. You know, well. Generally. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Yeah. I mean, technically speaking, yes, but so. This was a lot of flashback territory. I first yeah. discovered Durang in the late 80s in middle school and then in high school. So he's, Fun. He's, he's ebbing at this point. And I knew him and was introduced to him through forensics, speech and debate is, is how sure. a lot of people knew it. Mm -hmm. um, and the I, I competed uh, pretty vigorously in, in humorous interpretation. And every year there was there was an onslaught of Christopher Durang, which back at the back in the day led me to start reading him 
to to get a grasp on him. And of course, everybody, high school kids were leaning, you know, hard into the exaggerated comedy and the absurdism, and they were doing mm-hmm. big characters and and that sort of thing. Um, and then I I didn't return to him. He he kind of went out of favor in the '90s, and then uh, you know in the in the 2000s he he made a little bit of his his comeback. Um, and he was working the whole time, but so coming back to a lot of these, and so what what's so funny is um, I finished our reading assignments as they were today, but I finished reading with. Um, um, oh gosh, uh, uh, for whom the Southern Bell tolls. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. And I had forgotten. I I remember very very clearly seeing this amazing young woman who would have been sixteen or seventeen at the time, uh, back in the day, do doing that, doing a, you know an edited you know ten minute version of it, um, and I was like, oh my god, I remember the I remember these jokes. I remember, and I remembered that she did. So when Forrest Gump came out a couple of years after the fact, I looked mm-hmm. at Tom Hanks' performance. I'm like, did Tom Hanks steal that from this young girl? Because she nailed, she played, uh, what's the brother's name? Uh, Lawrence. 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 She played Lawrence almost like this sort of just borderline, you know, mentally challenged uh, and and with the same sort of cadence and and thing as Forrest Gump, and it worked. Like uh-huh. at the time, it worked. Like I remember her being so great. So it was just really great. And and uh, cool. Forrest Gump is borderline unwatchable now, but yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> all right, keep going. Just remember, <laughs> it beat out Pulp Fiction. Uh, for best well, picture, not talk I, if you get me into Oscar talk, I will start. You'll lose I your mind. I know. Forrest you can't Gump help a little it. too hard. There's, there's, and then I'll just sit here and listen. <laughs> so I don't mean to babble about that, but it was really great to rediscover him as an adult, as a as a as yeah. professional actor, as, as a professional director, and and theater maker to go. Oh shit! I didn't get. I didn't understand. I understood the humor. But I didn't yeah. understand the pathos, and I didn't understand um, the psych- psychology behind uh, a lot of what he was doing. And so it was Were you brand new to Durang, CJ? Would say that again? Were you brand new to Durang, or like, what is your context? Uh, Durang was on the directing reading list that I got when I started at Webster. It's because I asked, because I, I didn't even know where to start reading plays, because I went to public yeah. school. What was the first one you read? Uh, you Baby with the Bathwater. It was that, yeah. and I think it was um, Beyond Therapy was the other one that was on the reading list, which I never got to. So, like, I, re- I, I reread Baby with the Bathwater. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I enjoyed it more this time, of course. So, My history is that I, I, uh, read, I, I had read a couple of, like, of his shorts um, when I was in high school, because I had a drama teacher who actually passed away last oh, week. That's no, crazy. That I'm so him sorry, up. Bro. No, it's all good. I didn't even think I'd be bringing him up, but he directed me in The Crucible, which we talked about in our yeah. Miller episode and things like this. Uh, great man, Dr. Lewis. Uh, he was actually the acting coach of the original Lord of the Flies film. What? Wow, that's Isn't so that crazy? Cool. I watched yeah. that in eighth grade for English. Same. Oh, my God. Same. Yeah, it's he's he's kind of a legend. Yeah, he's That's a good dude. That's cool as um, shit. And he wrote some books, and they're like, yeah, he's he's a, he's a good dude. Uh, he was great, but uh, definitely got me into acting and all that kind of stuff. But um, he uh, 
ended up sort of like giving us some things to read in class. And I think I ended up reading For Whom the Southern Bell Tolls as well. It was like kind of my first introduction. Uh, and then in college, I did a monologue from him to get into Hogwarts. I used uh, a Durang uh -huh. monologue. And uh, it, Beatty Pettigrew of Hogwarts fame uh, came to me, uh, like walked up to me in the audition room, grabbed my hand and shook it. And she was like, hey, that was actually uh, the first time I've seen a Durang monologue in an audition room not make me want to squeeze somebody's eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great... It's true. Uh, it's can true. I just, yeah, can I just give great. a quick sound warning? I am in a very active neighborhood for fireworks right now. So a big, huge explosion <laughs> We're be just went off. And then, of course, half the cars in my neighborhood, the alarms go off. I just want to acknowledge that that may be happening on my end. Totally get that. That <laughs> happens on my end as well. So, and, yeah. And just legit. to be clear, we're in Los Angeles. We're doing this via Zoom and yep. uh, Liquid U Zoom. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, all those hiccups will affect us just didn't want to yes. ignore it no yeah thanks. no that's legit i think we're we're gonna have a lot of noises we're probably gonna end up with some uh some ice cream trucks we're gonna end up with some kids screaming outside our of my ms13 place. ice cream truck already came and went so <laughs> we're safe on my end <laughs> i love that story i just want you to go there every day and just endear yourself to them MS13. You know? bake don't them cookies uh, I'm whispering. hopefully they don't listen to theater podcasts We'll see. <laughs> I'm sure they do. They probably do. I can almost guarantee they do. Um, I'd 100%. like to, if, real um, quick, it, to just digress because you'd mentioned your your teacher and uh, my acting mentor uh, and and teacher of, of Keegan Michael Key and and um, Ty Burrell uh, you, and Ty Burrell and a few others. Pick those names Drop up. Drop those, right. don't you? Hey, oh, those nah. are, Yeah, those are sexy. I, I was, <laughs> But uh, 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 Dr. Michael Connolly retired from uh, um, uh, teaching uh, just last week, and oh. so it was. It was no, hey. he's great. He and his wife are, you know, they're 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 doing their thing right now. But uh, he had just posted on Facebook, and I was like, man, what a career, dude. He like, you know, he hustled it. And since we're here, uh, can I do a quick in memoriam? Uh, please, I please, I, let's all do it. A wonderful man that I worked with who was beloved in the LA theater scene. His oh, name yeah. is uh, yes. Bill Hunt, William Dennis. Yeah. He, I knew him at Theatricum years and years ago. He was a mainstay there. Very like stately man, amazing actor. He played mm. um, Duncan and the Porter when I was in Macbeth when I was like 24 or something. You uh, best but... spit and run around your apartment three times. <laughs> well, I'm not on stage. Um, he, but he was he was an amazing man and he was a very good friend to many people and a mentor. And he passed away about a week and a half ago uh his memorial was this last week but i just want to say he, you know bill you were loved and we miss you and that's all oh Absolutely. yeah best wishes and, and to his family too yeah has a great family so great and you know i think that's some of the beauty of theater obviously is the community it brings but here, also here. just like even though film may be the thing that like lasts forever because you're on film i think theater lasts forever in different ways the memory of it you know those the fleetingness of it of sort of like oh i experienced that um, and they were all part of that. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, but let's get into the silly, absurd world. Let's laugh about all this Durang, bullshit, Durang. Let's start with his connoisseur of connoisseurs of context. Let's start with his history. Scott, I, I pass it off to you. Well, thank okay. you. I did some research and I looked on the web for stuff. Perfect. I love um, this guy. 
<laughs> Give it to me. This guy's Give it great. to me. His name's <laughs> Charlie. Is this Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, can you uh, can you do this for us? Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Ferdinand Durang. Ooh, Ferdinand. It gets better. Ooh. Hold on. Hold on. Chills. It gets better. Born January second, nineteen forty nine, in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, hey. His uh, mother, Patricia Elizabeth Durang, was a secretary, and his father, Francis Ferdinand. <gasps> Durang Jr. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, Francis Ferdinand, Ferdinand yeah. Durang and Jr. And creator of fun bands. Uh-huh. Is this yes, 2003? Absolutely. Take uh, me out. Uh, uh, Jr. He was an architect um, and, and would later, both of them would feature as um, the subjects of his play, uh, The Marriage of uh, Bet and Boo. Francis Ferdinand Durang ah. Jr. was nicknamed yeah. Boo. Uh, yep. We'll get to that later. I can't wait. Um, hey, here's a shocker. Uh, he Tell attended me. Catholic schools. <laughs> Whoa. Well, yeah, yeah, it's true. Wait. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're telling me <laughs> that Christopher Durang, yeah. the writer Christopher of Christopher Ferdinand Durang, yes. Christopher Ferdinand Durang, mm-hmm. son of Francis Ferdinand uh-huh. and Patricia something. <laughs> are, <laughs> I forgot already. Uh, I'm terrible. Patricia. Are, he went to Catholic school? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. That, I think that so terrible. did everyone that was <laughs> born course. in America in the 40s, I think. The 40s. Well, maybe. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, he uh, attended Harvard and got his BA mm. in English from Harvard. Um, cool. Yeah. He, he was pretty sure that he was going to be a playwright. Uh, I watched a great interview with him that's on YouTube, um, and he's such a fucking charming guy. Like well, he's an actor yes. too, right? So and he's, he's an actor too. Yeah. And he he's shows up just, in a lot of his own stuff. And yeah, yeah and he's uh, he's just uh, remarkable to to listen to. Like you could just kind of want to go. I want to I want to go have dinner with Christopher Durang. So, Mr. Mm. Durang, if you're listening and you're visiting Los Angeles, Christopher Durang, friend of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Dinner. I'll take you to Boa's Steakhouse, and I will feed yes, you. Yes, dinner, dinner's on us. Um, <laughs> so he got his BA in English from Harvard. Uh, then he went on to a little school called Yale. What? Uh, Yale Drama <laughs> School. Yale Drama School, where he got his MFA. Um, he met and became friends with uh, Sigourney Weaver, who would be Ziggy. a clown. Uh, she would uh, appear. Alien Hunter. Alien Hunter, and she would be around for... Uh, work with him for a long time. Uh, Meryl Streep was also at Yale at the same time. God she damn. Actually, she actually worked on some of his first first produced plays at Yale. God damn. Interesting to know. Uh, he lives in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And uh-huh. if you read uh, Vanya and Masha and, uh, no, Vanya and Sonia and Masha. Uncle and Sonia. Meet your mom, <laughs> the dog, and the cat. All through all this week, every time CJ would Jesus. text talking about it uh, as she got drunker throughout the evening, me and Jesus, Alvin and Simon and Jesus Theodore, and Bob, and Ringo and George and John and Paul. Yeah. Paul's my favorite. Um, George is my favorite. Um, but anyway, ah, uh, thank God for whiskey. Um, uh, Yum. Yes. Um, but he lives in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. He's um, uh, married. His husband is uh, actor and playwright John Augustine. Um, they, yeah. Uh, they've been together since 1986, but they were legally married in 2014. Mazel tov. Happy Pride. Yeah. Yay. Uh, um, he runs. This is <laughs> this was the most interesting thing uh, that I found in my research. He runs uh, a fan site on the Internet. 
uh, for the movie Alien in the Alien franchise. <laughs> Uh, and he, uh, he, he, run, he goes to the conventions, he cosplays the whole nine yards. Ah, I love it! No, that's, my bullsh- a lie. that's my bullshit on That's truth. a lie. That's my bullshit on Oh, error. god damn it! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> damn it! It was, it was like, uh, it was like um, uh, what's his name? Who was our last one? Uh, well, Carol Churchill was a hype man for Wiz. <laughs> yeah. And- and, oh, Kushner! Like, uh, Kushner did Kushner did uh, Civil War reenactments. Civil War reenactment, which I thought was for sure. Like for I was sure. like, I want him to. I would. I would do it's it. Fine. Like, but. Uh, and he and Marsha Norman uh, yes. are co-chairs of the playwright program at, at Juilliard. Yes, correct. correct. Which one, Kushner Marcia or Durang? <laughs> Durang. Oh, okay, got it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, I went back into. In uh, one of the interviews that I, I watched, CJ, he talked um, extensively about therapy throughout That's, his life and and, uh, uh, and its impact. And He's a famous person his... I want to be friends with. He, yeah. yeah, he's he just seems entirely grounded. And David Hyde Pierce has a quote where he's like, you would when you meet the man, you would just never know <laughs> the absurdity and insanity that is going on. Uh, in no, he looks, <laughs> he looks like he's, he's aged well. And he looks like, you know, he looks like your English professor that you wanted to yeah. like, you know, get, get stoned with. Like kick it with. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, sure. Of course, he's also a, an actor and a singer. Uh, he's been performing for years. And um, uh, while well, he and Sigourney Weaver had a, basically a, a cabaret show that they did together that they actually did uh, in 1986 on Saturday Night Live. Sigourney Weaver was hosting at the top of her game. I read that. And, and she was like, she's like, yeah, would you let my friend Christopher come? And they, Aww, they did. I love so it's it. great if you get a chance. And it was like that. a, and it was like a, con, it was like a Brechtian. They made like, fun of Brecht. That's... Parody, yeah, yeah, which is so <laughs> not <laughs> SNL, but also like great. That's well, that was cool. back. Yeah. They they, they had some years where they they tried they tried weird stuff every now and again. That's like, right. That's true. There was the the horrible year because Lauren Michaels had left like in the mid eighties for a little bit. And right, came back, right. And they yeah. did an episode, and this is back in the year that was like. Robert Downey Jr. and um, right, it was like all new people, it right? Was kind it was of. Like, and Robert Downey Jr. was on Saturday Night Live like a for one year. Yeah, for he, one year, Anthony Michael Hall and uh, it was John sort of Lovitz. a rap pack situation. Yeah, they were like, let's get like these kind of weirdly like newly popular people. But then there was also in. like Randy Quaid was on that year. Like it was <laughs> oh, a right, really weird. weird year, and they did these weird episodes that would all where it was all like interconnected. Like they had one where Francis Ford Coppola was directing the episode, Holy and shit. they would just they would just cut to Francis Ford Coppola like out in the audience with a camera, and like it was just weird. But they were trying stuff, uh-huh. uh, and then they went. Weird. They went. They all right. They, respect for trying shit. Fucking love yeah, that. Yeah. Um. But that's really you know the 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 big stuff. You know he um he's working on stuff now, and he sort yeah. of has. He takes his kind time. of got a new like uh, Durangazons right now, where it's like you know because of Vanya Sonia, he's sort of uh, he's you know he's got like a new a rebirth right. in, the, in the in the Broadway world where everybody's like oh we should we should do more of his stuff uh-huh. so I think he's gonna 
I think he's got some more plays in him that'll come Yeah, well, that was my, I mean, I don't know if we wait till the end to discuss this, but like Vanya Sonia was 2012. So that's been my thing because, hey, oh, right. what has he been doing this whole time? That's that's kind of what I'm curious he, about. He, he, didn't, he didn't really stop. In the 90s, he, he took a break. There's like an eight-year gap from like the late 80s into the into the mid nineties where he, and he talks right. about it in the interview that I saw where he, he was just kind of not feeling it. He was, he was trying to do writing for Hollywood and he was, mm-hmm. I think he was signed to Warner brothers at one time and wrote a couple scripts that never, ever got made. Okay. Um, right. And um, yeah, he, you know, I think he got burned out on it. He, you know, he's, what I loved about the interview that I, I read with him, and I think you see it in the writing too, is that, that he's just utterly mortal. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> he's sure. just, uh, he, he's just, he's human and he, he, he gets, you know, he has foibles and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah. Um, Why don't we step through his place? Yeah. Let's start, start from, from the start, uh, early on there. Uh, so 74, uh, while at Yale uh, School of Drama, he does the the Idiots Karamazov, which, um, and I think... That's like a lampoon of the Dostoevsky brothers. Exactly. Oh, okay. Fun, fun, and, fun, fun. And, uh, and it got a little bit of attention. Is... I think one of the critics from the New York Times uh, went to see it at Yale or if, wherever yeah. they were performing it and um, and gave it some it was good like... notes. It was like... It was like Meryl's first big review. God that damn she it! Got. She was Constance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it was like it was kind of her big like, oh shit, this person might fucking destroy. She the might world. do so, something. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. could, she she's could got be a talent. She's talented. Um, <laughs> he was a writing fiend in college because he's got like six things that he wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, yeah. They, well, and and you know, I I don't know what all the politics and mechanics of of that are because there's yale rep which is connected but not entirely that's true the same as the yale school of drama but like he he had stuff that that moved on uh did you guys either of you read any of the idiots karamazov i did not i didn't no it's um it's fine there's 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 stuff i i laughed out loud at It, it feels very um sketch sketchy which some of his stuff sure. does and 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 that's fine um you know you could see it but you could see where where everything was going um that same year 1974 he also writes titanic which i just glanced over and I, it was I a wonderful movie in the 90s it was <laughs> not a wonderful movie that's a lie yeah this is where he actually gets close to sigourney okay. yes this is like where he like sort of that relationship really blossoms and as well as uh, Kate McGregor Stewart. Uh, and then they end up starring in beyond therapy together off Broadway in the first yes. off Broadway. Yeah. Therapy okay. As, um, uh, 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 Rose. Prudence. Rose. Uh, no, no. Prudence is Prudence. one. Sigourney Weaver is Prudence yep. and, yes. uh, Charlotte is Kate. Yes. Kate was Charlotte. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, uh, so that's an interesting one. I, I didn't read it. Uh, because you know, I mean, it, it's sometimes there's that part of me that wants to read everything that they read that they wrote in drama school or like whatever. But the, this one I skimmed through, and I was just sort of like, I can tell I get it. Yeah. like I get it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I kind of like technically sucked till I was like thirty. So, right. <laughs> I know it's yeah. not like that necessarily for everybody, but yeah, he does get better as he goes, though, for sure. Um. 
Let's see. 1975, <laughs> he uh, he does two more plays. Death Comes to Us All, Mary Agnes, uh, and The Nature and Purpose of the Universe. Um, so the, the Nature and Purpose of the Universe uh, was inspired... First, what? It's the first dead baby play. Yes, the, yes. Um, but it was inspired by uh, a pamphlet. So, uh, so there's a lot... At this time, there's a lot of... Um, uh, sort of uh and he's and 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 durang himself was was big into the anti-vietnam movement uh, a mm -hmm. lot of protesting what was happening in a lot of universities where students were taking over buildings and holding buildings wow um on universities columbia was it was big in columbia and yale and and harvard uh and so they the, the university had put out a pamphlet called The Nature and Purpose of the University. Oh. <laughs> and they were passing it out. Right, and he kind of like, he had woke up and it was like slid under his door and he kind of looked at it. And he's like, oh, The Nature and Purpose of the Universe. This is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not what it was. Uh, and then he was like, well, I'll name a play that. Yeah, I'll just right. write a play. <laughs> yeah. And this is, you know, this is his first uh, deep dive into the dead baby pool, uh, which is terrible. Uh, <laughs> that was a horrible way to put it, too, for some reason. Um, it was the 70s. Also, Those types of jokes yeah, were right. popular. This is also the script, actually, that technically he wrote it before Yale, and this is what got him into that. That's oh, right. Cool. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they didn't put it on until he was there. Until later, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 76. 76, uh, 76, The Vietnamization um, of New Jersey comes out. Uh, I did not check this one out. Um, thoughts? And I know that this one started as a parody sketch about David Rabe's uh, play, Sticks and Stones, mm, which is about uh -huh. the American guilt over Vietnam and things like that. Um, but I didn't read it. Uh, and he himself, in a couple of his like forewords and things and afterwards, says, like, sort of brings it up as like oh and then there's this like kind of play that i wrote one time that like i like but it's not great and you're like oh okay so i just didn't even read it right yeah um then we get to 1978 and he starts to hit things a little bit uh he does identity crisis uh incest, incest? yeah a little incest this one has incest just Free game of thrones just you wouldn't like it cj ah! <laughs> it does bother me know. CJ is very anti-incest. So. I I think Where? that's an okay. I think that's an okay hill to die on, isn't it? No, I'm with you. I'm with <laughs> you, know. you um, <laughs> to each their own. Okay. Uh, Durang did not have any siblings because all of the ones born after him died. What? Will we hear more about this later? What? Yes, we will. Yeah. Yes, we will. Yeah, There's true. a lot of that. That same year, he does a musical that I'm very fond of, though. Um. Yeah. Uh. The history of film, right? History. Of history film. of the American film. Yes. Uh. All I really know, actually, um. I read the thing. I could not find any music. Hmm. I, I. There's like I YouTubed it. I looked it up everywhere. Spotify. Everything. I cannot find the music to this show. Ah. So if anyone has it, send it to me. Yeah. Figure it out. Find the OG cast or whatever. You know. It's got to be available I, uh, if you if you request the rights for it. Surely, right? Right, absolutely. And I think it would be interesting to put up at some point, but basically it's sort of uh, out of his love for the 1930s through 70s film era and like the grandioseness of it all. And it actually is inspired by um, 
1933 film called A Man's Castle, right? Which yes. I've never seen. Yes, I know. Um, I know. And um, and it was it was a mild hit. It was especially uh, successful uh, in regional productions. It was the first time he made any money. Was uh, yeah, right. the, people started putting this up. Yeah, for sure. like yeah. the the Greatest Generation really responded to it so you know, right. Right. and something really cool about the first productions which by the way had brent spiner That's uh, so cool of, i know of, right uh, next generation fame um but he uh did this really cool thing the director did this thing where they for the pre-show they did a follow the bouncing ball um sing along oh with the god, audience oh my god i love shit like that oh so, yeah so it was like by the and there was just like tons of songs that everybody kind of already knows like uh you know um Clementine or like yeah. things like oh yeah. my god yeah, yeah 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 and 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 just like get the whole audience on the same page American so they're standards like so in it together yeah and then it starts and it's like grandiose sets and boom 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 and like that's exciting to me uh this also was uh inspired by the tone of the movie The Graduate which is my favorite movie <laughs> so it's like that that excited me a lot and then this was uh nominated uh, for a Tony for best book but it lost to something that I really like uh, called On the 20th Century, which is a Cy Coleman score. Oh, yeah, with- yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then Working was in that category and like Runaways and things like that. But that year, shout out, uh, the winner of Best Musical was the uh, Fats Waller hit Ain't Misbehaving, uh-huh. which is which I see fantastic. all over the place now. It's great. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's just good music. It's it's uh, Fats Waller uh, at as music at his best, basically. Right on. Very good shit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So uh, then we go to 1979, and he, uh, well, he does two plays. Well, they're they're both put up together, but the the first one uh, from the opening monologue, brilliantly performed by our very own C.J. Merriman. Thank you, Sister <laughs> Mary Ignatius. <laughs> explains it all for you yes fun play. oh man fun play. this fun play, play hit me so hard in so many religious spots and i was only like sure. partially catholic growing up <laughs> my mom's <laughs> side was catholic so like anytime we went up to grandma's for christmas i went at, i went to mass anytime we went to grandma's because we were a go to church every week or twice a week family so right uh, oh my God! I have so many dumb church stories I could tell y'all about this that it just kept bringing up for me the entire time. Yeah, choose seventeen of them and listen. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll listen. I'll I'll tell you my favorite one, and it'll be the only one that I tell for this. Uh, we had this pastor in my Lutheran church called Pastor Johnson, and I specifically remember being like eight or nine years old, and he came into Sunday school, and that day we were talking about like eternity or heaven or like just. Something that should be terrifying for an eight or nine year old. And I raised my hand and I asked him if I would see my pets in heaven. And he said, well, no, your pets don't have souls. And I was destroyed. That's what they believe. Yeah, (laughs) I was destroyed. I went home and I told my dad and he was, I, I actually called him for Father's Day and um, brought that up to him. He's like, I remember that. (laughs) <laughs> what's funny about that though is like we we're we're kind of giggling at that like oh that's so funny but like there are people probably even listening to this podcast who who tr- who actually believe oh, that. that's so sad yeah, that doesn't sound like to heaven me. to me and maybe and maybe that's true but it just makes me really sad and i don't think it's true <laughs> it's it makes me sad. so sister mary ignatius 
which yeah, was... I'm excited to hear what you guys thought of this one because uh, I read it. It was the first one I read. Uh, I paced this one out really well. CJ, you said you did the same thing. I like. Uh-huh. I kind of like every couple days read another one or two, and that was really nice. And this was the first one I read. And then the last thing I did before we recorded was watch the Diane Keaton uh, Showtime oh version of this, which I want to uh, talk about. So I want to hear what you guys say first. Okay, so this is the one I probably have the most experience with because uh, I'd seen it in, like I said, high school forensic speech and all that. Uh, and then I'd seen a couple of productions. So earlier in today when we were all slacking uh, and talking about what scene we were going to do, and I, I, I was like, no, no woman should ever play this, is because I saw a performance. Uh, and so I've seen it as, as a production three times. Mm-hmm. And two of them were, were were awful because, and he talks about it in stage directions and and all that. You 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 can't you can't play the crazy from the beginning. There's got to be a balance. No, there. no, 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 no. Yeah. So I in Chicago in the mid to late '90s saw a production, and I can't. It was a very small like storefront thing, and it was a guy. Uh, he was a drag queen by he was known as as a drag queen so when i went to see it i'm like what's this gonna be is this gonna be over the top it was the most elegant and spot on i'd ever seen he was utterly sincere he did not play the camp at all he played the sincerity of it and let the lunacy of the character build uh which i think is important i think that this is his best satire it is a scathing satire Mm. But all of his plays, I think this is the one that hits pure satire from top to bottom the best. And, you know, it's obviously a condemnation of of the church and, um, you know, uh, religious hypocrisy and and everything else. But if if you hate her by the time you're a third of the way through before... You know the, the 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 pageant before the you know the the play happens with right. the, the former students. If you don't like her, then it doesn't work. It's it's right. it, you've got to see her spiral. Um, so you you might be afraid of her. You might be like, who is this person? But she she's a true believer. She sure. utterly mm-hmm. believes in it, and you know to you know to her own demise. But um, yeah, I I. I just, I think it's one of his most complicated characters. Um, I went and read reviews of various productions, you know, over the years and and all that. And almost all of them were either the actress pulled it off or they, or they didn't. And if they right. didn't, they were usually trying to play this over-the-top, you know, character. And, and she is, and he, his humor and... And his writing is over the top, but eh, I don't think that's right. I think it's heightened. It's it's its, its own world. Um, but you know, if you come in, you know, with a ruler and, and screeching, it's you know. No, no, no. No one wants to be. It's like teaching. The second that you yell, you've lost. Yep. Yep. The exactly. second you yell, yeah, you're not getting out to anybody. I mean, I I do that with my boyfriends when you fight. <laughs> Hell, you're not going anywhere, CJ. Yeah. Um, I have I have one short thing and then one long thing to say about this. My mm. favorite line in this play was Jesus is going to throw up. 
<laughs> oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, one of my favorite lines. The wow. gagging. The gagging. Well, well, I, I just have a clear memory well. of that. The, the actor not doing, not doing the the har, not saying the words, but doing them every time. Yeah. And it was yes. just like it was so <laughs> gross and so visceral, but so real for her. Because like, you've done it before too. Yeah. It's right. Like, exactly. Oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> um. um Here's I have a question and uh-huh. I don't know because I I enjoyed this play and and of course like the whole time was like I would love to play this character and I I get the ire towards the Catholic Church my mother went to Catholic school she has all kinds of Catholic school horror stories on top of just going to mass every week Right but I I'm and I'm honestly asking you guys does the world need a play that makes fun of Catholicism right now because, like, I, I guess reading it, I was like, I don't know that I'd want to sit in an audience and, and laugh about the Catholic Church in, in an often good-natured way. Because, just because the Catholic Church has a hell of a lot more to answer to now than it did in 1979. And I'm just talking about all the stuff that's happened, you know, all the stuff that's come out. You know what I mean? Right. Um you mean in terms of the clergy and and molestation and all that yeah stuff. it's it's not like a it's not like a cute silly little uh religious upbringing thing anymore you know what i mean no and but i think i disagree with you slightly that that that's the where he's at with the tone of this i i, I think agreed I think, agreed I, I think it's a different thing completely i yeah I'm i mean i'm not saying he's being tone deaf i'm saying doing this show right now is right. what i'm saying yeah i i mean i would love for him to come back and and address it again i mean child abuse um is a theme that recurs through throughout all of his work so i don't you know it certainly wasn't I'm sure there was whispers about it, but like we, we weren't really aware of the sort of huge Absolutely. scandal until too recently, unfortunately. Um, right. You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's been some fairly recent productions that I, I saw, I mean, you know, and so people are still doing it. Yeah. I saw there was like a 2018 production somewhere. Okay. Uh, might've been up in the Bay area. If I memory serves. All right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, I think a lot of lapsed Catholics probably respond to it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, for the time that it was written, I think it was definitely, uh, you know, it's a difference between, do we need to perform it right now? Yeah, maybe not. Like, I don't know that this is the most poignant thing we need to, exactly because there has, there's so much more that they need to answer to. But also I think this play is it's I have a little bit of trouble with it only because it's a little too easy, right? Mm. Like it's like a little too on the nose. If, if you are just trying to batter down Catholicism, like if you're just trying to be like, fuck Catholicism, that's what this is. Let's do that. But I think there's, you have to have the right actor, which is what it sounds like Scott, like was kind of point was, was like, I saw, two different people do it who presented female and were not great. And then you have a drag queen do it and it, or a man do it in drag. And it's, um, and it's like profound. And because yeah. of, the, of the way that he performed it, right. Not necessarily because he's a man, but whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And I think if you have the right actor with this one, you can really do some things that are on the next level of just like 
rather than just punch and judying uh, Catholicism, it is more mm -hmm. like, no, but let's talk about like the trauma that I personally went through during. And that's mm -hmm. really what he's getting at is like, right. this is my story with Catholicism. And, you know, and it, it, the whole point of it, and this actually goes back to what you said about how you play Sister Mary. If you play her super mean, then you lose that whole theme of like, Christian goodness, right? Mm -hmm. Or like Catholic goodness, mm -hmm. as if mm -hmm. every other denomination is evil, or as if Jews are evil because they are not Christian, right? Like mm -hmm. Christian goodness, Christians are good, therefore other things are bad is kind of the implication there, right? right. And I think there's a way to do that. It's so funny that you bring up that it's it's uh, forensics is how you were sort of um, brought into this because it feels very much like a forensics piece. It's like, I kind of just want to see people do this monologue. Like, I don't really need to see this whole play right, right now. Right now. Um, however, Diane Keaton <laughs> fucking slays it. And it's really good. They do, they, they make some stupid, interesting choices. Now, I know Durang... Um, like gave thumbs up on this one and like helped with it or it actually did the screenplay and like it's you know so it was his choices but some things i don't love about it are like they they show the kids performing the actual pageant as kids uh. which is with the text from the play at the beginning of the of the movie and then which is like interesting and like funny but then when they do it as adults it's like 10 times more biting like they're being like huh. horrible and they're being like, uh, yeah, I'm just fucking pissed off about the fact that I got fucking fucked by somebody who's not real. And you're like, whoa, like yeah. it, it takes it to another level where she would have stopped it way earlier. Right. And what that's year? what Do doesn't know? work for me about that one. Yeah. What, what year was that? Uh, let me Do check. Remember? But it was, it was like, oh, nine, maybe. Oh, OK. Yeah. God. That yeah. was 11 years ago, everybody. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that's insane. But um, Sister Mary Ignatius. Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton. Yeah, she's phenomenal she... in it. And it's got a great little cast. Um, 2001. Okay. Wow. Whoa. I watched it on YouTube, so it was like 240p. You know, it was like the worst, uh, you know, possible quality. And so I couldn't <laughs> tell. I couldn't yeah. tell if it was the quality is of what I what or... I watched my porn on. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, my right. sister Mary Ignatius Horn. Right. I'm not, uh, I'm movie... not advocating. I'm just saying. What? You got to advocate. Come on. I don't. No, sex, no sex I, I'm advocating. Um, yeah. Let me say this, though. This movie got me in my nostalgia feels pretty hard. In movie. This play got me in my nostalgia feels pretty hard about uh, Sister Wendy. Uh, oh, sure. I, know I talked about her before we started recording, but she when um, History Teachers Were Bored, uh, you know, back in, in when I was in high school, at least they would put on uh, this PBS series that was like Sister Wendy goes through the paintings, right? And she would always be like, she had this really intense overbite, and she, <laughs> and she spoke very, like this. In, very British. Yes, in <laughs> this picture here, as you can see, Eve's supple breasts hang <laughs> as Adam's nice long schlong <laughs> dangles <laughs> beneath his body, and it was like your Adam history wanted... teachers put that on for you. Yeah, it was amazing. It was like. <laughs> She, she, was a, she was brilliant. She was a brilliant, brilliant. art historian. Yeah. And so, like, it, it becomes hypnotic because she's so, <laughs> so sweet and so sincere and, and you passionate know, it, about it, too. And she passionate knows everything. About it. And so, like, she'll break down, like, some Michelangelo for you, and you're like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. This sounds like watching Antiques Roadshow. A little bit. Like, she travels the world and goes to these museums and talks about art, and she's a full on yeah. nun. 
All um, right, a full-on nun. Full-on yep. nun. Full-on nun. But uh, getting back to the play itself, th- this was his big break. I mean, he yeah. had some success before. I can see that. Um, but this started like, you know, this is he, I think Frank Rich was uh New York times drama critic at the time. I could be yeah. wrong. I think it was Frank Rich that, that, right. what, that gave him the, the big review at the time. Uh, yeah. And then it was paired up with uh, the actor's nightmare for a night of one acts. And, and it just was huge, huge. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I go ahead, Siege. I was just going to say, CJ sidebar. Thank you for letting me read that at the top of the show because I definitely went through a time in college where I played nuns mm-hmm. back to back <laughs> to back to back. It was Hot. the weirdest fucking. Were you thing. in nuns since one, two, and three? Oh, <laughs> I was, was in Prime of Miss Jean Brody. There's four. I, oh god. There's four, and then there's a Hanukkah one. Oh my oh, god. Oh no. I'm serious. Let's all get drunk and it's called I've, only, I've only I've only had to sit through the first one. Ave Maria. The nonsense a... cinematic universe. I'm gonna look it up. Ave Maria. Viewing it's party. So Reading party. <laughs> um, Who did you? What nuns did you play, CJ? Uh, the I played the nun in Prime of Mischief Brody. Um, I played the nun in uh, Measure which he Measure. does. There's there's a Prime of Mischief Brody reference in, in one of the plays in one of Durang's plays there, there was yes Sister Helena is her name in, in Private Machine Birdie and then um, oh we did nine my sophomore year in school and there are nuns in that ah. so me and my best friend Joe Kroger who's in NYC um, we were the nuns in that and it was the white the white outfit with the flying nun like the winged hats uh, right. it was yeah. fun. Fun. I just played a lot of nuns and then I moved out to LA and I played witches a lot. <laughs> Same. Witches. Uh, okay, let me read this to you real quick. So there's nonsense. And then there's nonsense two, the second coming. And then <laughs> and then and then you have uh you have Nuncrackers, which is the nonsense Christmas musical. With lots of white people. And then you, you have Meshuggah Nuns, <laughs> which is the fourth. Uh, uh, and then you have the fifth edition, which is Nun Sensations, which is the Nonsense Vegas Review. The sixth <laughs> one. You ready? Sixth oh one. The sixth. No, you're not, I'm, I have many. Here we go. Sixth <laughs> one is Nunset Boulevard. All right. All right. Uh, and then Nuns you have LA. three spinoffs. Okay. <gasps> Okay. You have a spin-off. You have, okay, so there's the German version called Nonsense. And then but then there's nonsense. a spin-off called Nonsense Amen. Okay. Then there's a new version named Nonsense the Mega Musical, which Whoa. is a remake of the original featuring additional songs and characters. And <sighs> then you have Sister Robert Ann's Cabaret Class. Which is a show that opened at the Playhouse on the Green in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and was an enormous hit, apparently. And that's kind of it. Like, it just died there. Okay, we need to do a whole episode on all the nonsense. We no. will. No. Oh, God. <laughs> season no, two. Be fun. Nonsense. We'll do it together. Yeah, our whole season two will but be about will all the nonsense. But we will find productions plays. of them, and we will bring our equipment, and we will watch them, and we will fucking live <laughs> podcast nonsense. Oh, my God, I would love that. I'm in. 
Uh, Scott would hate it. I'm in. Last thing I wanted to say about wow. Sister Marie okay. uh, is the Thomas stuff. Because that, yes. I think, is the most poignant and kind of mm-hmm. most amazing part of all the. Thomas is this character that's, everybody should go read it, but he's the seven-year-old, and she keeps talking about seven-year-olds. And he's he, so sweet. Durang himself went to Catholic school until he was seven. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Or, no, or, he went oh, all the way through all the way through high he school. He did? Oh, okay. Yeah. He talks a lot about seven being a year of, like, of awakenings for him in bad ways, I think. Um, but Thomas is, like, he's the seven-year-old that she keeps calling on stage, and is like literally her dog. He, you know, calls, calls him. He comes on, asks the question. He does it, performs the trick. And then she gives him a fucking cookie. You know, like it's, this to me is. I felt like he was the heart of the show though, too. Like just the whole time. I'm like that poor kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What a nice kid. He is, he's, you know, he's, um, Will you finish Scott? I'm sorry. No, I'm cutting me off. No, actually, fuck both of you. Here's the thing. I think, uh, no, go ahead. I, no, it's, it, it, it is. And, and th- there's something that becomes, as you watch a production of it, if it's done well, that becomes even more striking and even more sad and concerning. Because by the end, you're a little bit worried about yeah. his future. When he's got uh, a gun in his hand at the he's end. He's got a right? gun in his hand trained on. Yeah on the on the guy and then you know you know sitting on her lap so it's uh, it's interesting everyone should go read this play so that we don't give away the ending because i think the ending is so surprising because i i didn't know this play like i'm sure i've heard bits of the monologue but i was reading this going like what the fuck and i finished it like (laughs) oh shit and like it's i think i think as somebody who has dealt a lot with theology and religion in my life just like coming to grips with what i believe in what i want to understand and all that kind of stuff this one for me not his best work but i agree with you scott this is like his ultimate satire that's like pure satire let's just like sit in it and just like fucking talk about it right and i love the the other thing i was going to point out too is that and and as we get further along i think that the some of this we can talk about just time and place so you know nobody nobody had done anything quite like that before in terms of uh a high profile production on broadway or off broadway commenting on the catholic church in a visceral like like the gloves are off like coming after it kind of way yeah uh you you certainly ten years beforehand you couldn't have you nobody would have done that nobody even right. would have tried it so right. you know and you know audiences that saw it I think were pretty aghast you know shocked and it's but in it's a, in a, kind of crazy way. that we keep finding out he's so sweet and he's so nice and he's like the nicest guy in the whatever because this is bold as fuck to put out at this time right like you just said like this is this is bold shit and almost everything he puts out is bold shit where you're like whoa you're saying something here and like that's why he you know that's why but in a really entertaining and funny way which i think it makes it even more effective because i'm kind of one of those people that's like is shit bad let's figure out a way to laugh about it (laughs) absolutely and 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 in a human way too um yeah so it so there's some weirdness here because he wrote sister mary ignatius in 79 yeah. It's not until 81 that he writes The Actor's Nightmare that, that both are produced together. Uh, yeah. And then huh. in between, he wrote Beyond Therapy. Um, Actor's Nightmare, I, don't, I hate to use the word fluffy. 
it just entertain and it's still it entertained me you know 25 years ago and it entertains me today and it's i think a fantastic tip of the hat to theater nerds um to actors like it's a, it's a love letter and, what do you mean like this podcast yes <laughs> yeah yes but um um but it would be it would have been i imagine if you're watching an evening of sister mary and the actor's nightmare back to back the actor's nightmare becomes a really great palate cleanser because it's for sure it's right. nerve-wracking and funny but and and um, yeah, but it, it's it's also not it doesn't really land any punches and i don't think it's really trying to am i yeah, wrong actor's nightmare is really interesting because it's sort of one of those things where it's like as an actor and we'll talk about this with Vanya as well where there's that little bit of like as a theater person watching this I feel like I have way more insight than somebody who's not a theater person right like I understand Beckett and Shakespeare and Coward which is what he's literally like dealing with the whole time and so there's that extra level of enjoyment but as someone, I directed a piece, a chunk of this for a couple summers ago at uh, Shakespeare Youth Fest, and it was a 15 and 14 year old doing oh, it. Oh wow! Just for fun. And mm. it was, and we took out some of the more, you know, uh, 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 thematic kind of stuff, but we, we, it was just a chunk of it. And something that we found with it is that it's really interesting to play George because it's, it would be easy to play him as an actor dealing with the fear that we have, like, cause we have the actor's nightmare dream, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've had that dream where I'm about to go on stage for something I've never rehearsed for, right? right. So I literally had that dream two nights ago. Yeah, I, I have it all the time. And it's always in like weird, stressful times in my life where I'm like, I'm not even preparing for that, stop. And and it it's, so we have felt that, but I don't know that non-theater people have that dream as much, maybe they do, um, but I think, what's great about this play is that George is an accountant and he is not right. an yeah. actor. So yeah. it's a nightmare for us, but to him and what's kind of amazing about it is the way he plays it. It kind of just becomes a game to him. Like at first it's a, at first it's a nightmare. He's like, Whoa, there's people looking at me and I have to say stuff. Okay. But then at some point he's just like, Oh, they're responding. This is kind of fun. And it's more about, a person who's not a theater person's experience if they had to deal with what we deal with. And I, mm-hmm. and that there is some fluff to that. There is some like uh, two dimensionalness to that, right? But I think it's fun. Yeah. And I think no, every high school on the planet like, should do it because it's. Isn't public speaking supposed to be like everyone's worst fear? Of sure. It, like yeah. besides actors? I don't sure. Know, maybe some layman can get into that. One of you has your AC on, by the way, and I'm going to throw a bottle at the fucking wall. Yeah. No, it's me, and I didn't. I'm should, I, should I get up and go turn it off now? You do you. I don't okay. care. No, no, it was my <laughs> screw up because we were dealing with the internet bullshit and and I've already thrown. And I'm uh, like, ah, the well, I noticed the wall, ten minutes so. ago, and I'm like, I w- why won't it just stop? Why won't the cycle just, <laughs> just turn off for stop. me? Stop. 
It's uh, because I'm not bothered by it. If any listeners are bothered by it, you clearly are bothered to, by it. I'm not bothered by it. I already broke. I already broke the bottle over somebody's head, so I feel much better. My frustrations are calmed now that I've. Thanks for this coming bottle. to our last episode of this podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm for sure going to jail. Um, but uh, all right, I'm gonna go turn this off, and uh, you guys start talking about Beyond Therapy, which is okay. Um, hey CJ. I've got yeah, it. Do what? It now. Why? Should we, should we play <laughs> a trick on now. Scott? Should we play a trick on Scott? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's what do, do you want to do? What? <laughs> I thought you let's had that. No, I don't. I just. What if we? What if we? Um, actively kind of already finished talking about it. Yeah. Man. Okay. So beyond therapy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> after that, baby with the bathwater. Bathwater. Um. Is uh. Oh wait, no, no. I wanted to talk about beyond therapy. No, no, no done, we Scott. don't want to. We already said enough about that. Like, uh, <laughs> all right, that didn't work as well as we wanted. <laughs> it so, was Bailey's idea, not mine. Terrible idea. So this is the only one that I read that I was like, this, this Beyond Therapy is locked in its place and time and, has, and time has passed it by. I yeah. read a couple reviews of recently, semi-recently within the past 10 years uh, of people trying to mount it. And the, the critics are just like, what? This doesn't. Why? Like the only yeah. way to pull it off is that it has to be set in 1981. Yeah. Um, and, you, and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't hold up. Like, well, I just there's elements of it that was... do, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sure. No, no, no. I, I enjoyed it. It was a funny read, but the, the whole time I was thinking like, were people really fucking their therapists this much back then? I mean, I don't back know. Back then? I, but I, I mean, it just seems like a breach of contract or something. Well, I mean, yeah, it's... it was It was the first thing that was really <laughs> shocking to me reading it going, oh, well, that and the very first line is, I like your breasts, which, right. I mean, all oh, of that, it. All, all, the blind date. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of his, all of his plays start off to shock you and shake you out of where you're at. Like they all start out weird that yeah. he, he's pushing the weird and then he settles down. He does this again and again and again throughout all of his work and then sort of finds the humanity as it goes on. Um, but there's yeah, something this one's interesting. This... Go, Go ahead. ahead. No, it's interesting because it's like a Lenny Bruce uh, kind of thing, right? Where it's like you're making comedy out of unthinkable, unspeakable mm -hmm. stuff. Sure. But then now when you read it it's like pc is a very big thing that you know like and and this one is not you know it, it doesn't um it's got a lot of really weird feelings about bisexuality which we'll get into because i know mm -hmm. yeah you know and that go, that happens in a lot more of his pieces this is his first kind of tackle of that um but what i like about it though before we i rip this apart because i have a lot of problems with this play mm -hmm. um are that I think he's kind of Monty Python-esque, right? He's agreed. It's like a John Cleese thing where or like or like Faulty Towers where I'm watching mm -hmm. like a back and forth between insane angst or fury and then like the relief of that fury, right? So it's like constantly but I'm John Cleese and everything's bad. Okay. <laughs> right, right. Whatever. You know? And I think that is so embodied in this script and therefore is an exciting um exciting thing as an actor to want to tackle and there's a lot of back and forth and, and and good dialogue in there 
But I just, and I've seen a production of this. I saw it actually at um, the William Inge School of Theater in mm. Independence, uh, Kansas. It's a weird place. It's it's like the meth capital of the Midwest, and it's Independence, and it's it's a tiny, tiny little town where there's just like old crack houses everywhere, and 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 the weirdest community you've ever seen, and you've never seen more stray cats in your life. And then there's this tiny little community college. That's like really shitty, like really, really <laughs> shitty. And the football team is really shitty and uh-huh, everything's uh-huh. really shitty. But they have the William Inge School of Theater on their campus. And that's the only thing that gets funding. Wow. So huh. It is like they can pay for all their students' books. They can do like all this stuff for those kids, but they can't whatever. So we would drive down now and then and see their shows. And they had like the William Inge Festival every year. And I actually directed Dark at the Top of the Stairs in the William Inge house that Dark at the Top of the Stairs is based on. So like Fucking a lot of cool. history there. It's a very cool place. It's where Inge grew up. But I went and saw Beyond Therapy. Had a couple friends in it. And it was bad. Uh, to say the least, no offense to my friends who uh, were in it, uh, but it I just remember walking out feeling kind of uh, dirty or just like a little bit like, ugh, I didn't need to sit through that for two hours because it's quite long. Um, and I have some thoughts about it just as in terms of his own obvious homophobia because obviously he's homosexual, but you can tell that he has some built-in homophobias and like bisexual phobias and as somebody who falls under the bisexual umbrella i have to like when things like this are in text it's hard not to feel like you're making comedy out of out of something that you don't understand and i know he's using comedy to deal with his own homophobias and mm-hmm. because of the church that ins- were stilled in him. I'm not calling him a homophobe. I'm saying that, that that's something he's obviously dealing with in this script. And mm-hmm. I think right. it, it, we talk about it a lot with like old sitcoms, like friends, right. Has a lot of uh, kind of uh, let's laugh at this because it's gay. Right. And I think, or because you're fat or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and when does, when does that become uh, not PC anymore? When does it become cringeworthy? Is that because now it's cringeworthy? It wasn't then. Is that a problem? Is it good that it's it's cringeworthy now? I don't know. That's the conversation I'm trying. No, to No, no. I I I feel one hundred percent on the same page with you about uh, about all of it. It and it, like I said, it's it's kind of uh, cemented to its time and place and. I think there was a review that that I read about a recent production that just say said it it comes off as as ugly and unnecessary. Yeah. Um. And I think he you know he was talking about therapy, which was you know at that point in time is huge, and um. Yeah, I think that clearly you see him struggling with. Well, it's 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 the gay punchline. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, right. I, and you know, you know, guilty as charged. If you look at you know, writing that I did, you know, in the early two thousands, you know, that's it's sure. a, it, it, because it was easy. You know what I mean? And and sure. um, uh, and I think it, I think that some plays just come and and they they die. I, I'm doing. Um, I'm doing research on, on, on a play that I'm, I'm writing. Um, I don't want to say 
who or what it's about, but it's a person that also wrote plays on top of many other things. This is like late 1600s, 1700s, but you don't see this person's plays done at all anymore. And it's just because they died. They're not, there's nothing to, that they're saying that's relevant. It would be purely an intellectual thing. And um, I think that that's what's interesting is that he he's evolved past that. I think that, you know, when you get to the marriage of, of, of Bette and Boo, he, he comes to terms with a lot of this shit. And that's just yeah. a couple of years down the line. But I think in the time and the place, you know, he was also trying to be shocking and trying to be funny. And I don't, and may not have dealt really dealt with his own homosexuality on a political, socio-political level like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm not indicting him for that. I think that, yeah. you know, that, that he was also a victim of his, you know, um, I'll, later on, I'll talk a little bit about him and his nostalgia and his, um, his baby boomer ishness, baby boomer, mm. like, like, for sure. Because, yeah. um, you know, I think that that, informs him so much you know and i think it's i think that when you look at beyond therapy he's trying to kind of blow it up he's the absurdity of of dating the absurdity of of uh, therapy doing do therapy the the absurdity of putting putting classified ads you know yeah and i mean and and that's very 80s right but it's also like uh, it's kind of a fact of a writer's life that uh, comedically a psychiatrist is a great comic figure right mm-hmm. like that's just that's just like that's easy right it, but it's feels too easy and <laughs> no I, you're, maybe yeah, this you're... is the one that killed it you know because uh, they even they even reference equis like they literally at yeah, one point oh, yeah. like, you know equis yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that shit's great and you're like <laughs> oh, you're, you're commenting on that like silliness of all that right so i think there's parts of it i mean and i like that he's playing with um language like he's doing some Ionesco stuff like uh if you've ever read the lesson by Ionesco mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who I'm sure will do uh I, I think he's on this season or next season um but he uh he does a lot of linguistics play I love that the uh Charlotte the female psychiatrist um is constantly like she'll throw out a word like at one point she's like oh yeah my next porpoise that's she not what I word. mean and then yeah, she yeah, like yeah, reassociates yeah. to find the word and then she's like oh yeah polywog no patient that's what i meant like that stuff is funny and absurd and i like it but i will tell you there's a apparently there's a a great uh david hyde pierce catherine o'hara um yes uh, audio book of this yeah it's supposed to be great i would be really good and they've cut some stuff out of it so apparently it's like really solid um but then i i gotta bring this up because our next episode is plays that are movies and there is a movie of beyond therapy and it's a robert altman film it's not an Altman of, fan myself. It's one of Altman's worst. Like it was, it was one of yeah. Altman's worst. And I'm an Altman devotee. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge it. Altman guy. Not a huge Altman guy. Like I, you could, I'll you could convince you. On I'll a change few. your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could talk about. I'm that. just listening. Next episode, we'll get into it a little more. But this movie is absolutely terrible. It ruins everything that's great about the script. Uh, and basically amplifies everything that's bad about it. The, the the way that it's shot and edited is so silly that it just doesn't make any sense. However, the cast is fucking stacked. Christopher Guest is Bob and he's kind of great. 
Um, Julia Haggerty, Julie Haggerty, is that her name? Julie Haggerty, Julie Haggerty yeah. Haggerty from Airplane. Uh-huh. She is, uh, <laughs> is Prudence, and she's great. And Jeff Goldblum is the most Goldblum he's ever been in this movie. And yet, none of them work, none of them click, because it's all just shot and edited like the weirdest fucking... It doesn't make sense, and huh. there's maybe like... 10 pages of the script actually there, even though Durang got half of the screenwriting credit. Wow. And Durang like fully, he's like, this is poison. This is trash. Like you butchered my play. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can see entirely why Altman would have been interested in it. Yeah. And his, he's interested in the subject. He's not interested in the play. Um, And Altman's all about, sort of free he he's all about free association and floating and improv and you know um it just it was just a yeah on paper like you can check a lot of boxes i've experienced this a lot in my life recently creatively where you can check a lot of boxes this should make this should make sense robert altman doing a christopher durang play look at this cast and nope it just it just wasn't meant to be you know sometimes those things yeah Yeah, it just it just really it shits itself. Uh, but it, I, I mean, go ahead. I just I would be interested to know if at this time he had seen a therapist when he yes. wrote this play. Like yeah. if he had he, seen a therapist and thought it was bullshit, because I think he he is personally calling bullshit on therapy. And then he also makes comments about bisexuality. Like that's what I felt like the main thrusts of this show were based on um interviews that i i saw and 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 read no he he'd already he'd gone through therapy before and he's not uh i think that's the the thing he's not necessarily rejecting or i think what he's saying is that there that psychiatrists that the individuals themselves are often as crazy as as (laughs) as the as the clients and what happens if that's the case Right. Um, and, you know, he, that he sounds return- like a terrifying world. He returns it, I mean, to it therapy. Is true. <laughs> he returns to therapy after this. So it's not like he he doesn't reject Six Feet Under has a really great arc about, like, uh, Jeremy Sisto's parents are, like, are, or not, uh, what's her name? The Rachel Griffiths. Uh, parents are um, psychiatrists on Six Feet Under, and they're, like, awful and but they're smarter than everyone so they just feel like they're yeah. better than everyone. and I, that's a good arc of that but i think you know on in terms of the bisexual thing I, you always like seeing a bisexual character be the lead of something but he is presented as a shithead and you could act him differently but it, he's 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 overtly sexual in like sort of the way that I think a lot of gays have been portrayed where it's sort of like, Mm, like, Oh, mm -hmm. well you must be like a sex criminal then, or like awful, Uh or like you must treat women as this or your partners as this. And you must want to always just be fucking uh, like other people constantly. And it's like, okay, this is a terrible representation of a bisexual (laughs) person. So it doesn't work for me, but we should move on from this one because there are better ones to discuss because in 83, he writes, Baby with the bathwater.
It's catchy as shit. Our dear friend Pamela Quinn with her uh, her uh, episode focus song, which she provides for us every episode for Christopher Durang. Yeah. Hey guys, what did you guys think of this little play called uh, "Baby with the Bathwater"? Uh, A show for the childless. <laughs> yeah. Um, It'll certainly throw people off of having kids. <laughs> <laughs> Birth control well, I just, spiked. <laughs> I was laughing at it, but I could have. I thought of a handful of friends that wouldn't find it funny at all. Yeah, you know no, what I mean. No, no, no. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, and I actually have a friend who, straight up, when I brought up Durang, they're like, "Oh yeah, that one with the transphobic play." And I was like, "Oh, which one?" And they said, "Baby with the bathwater." Oh, like, okay, oh, that too. Okay. Oh yeah. I could which see I that didn't, possibly I didn't read, being the thing. But I'm not trans, so I wouldn't read it that way right away. Right. Right. But right. Pointed out oh. to me. I was like, "Oh, okay." I can see that. I can see that okay. a little bit. Or at least it's playing with it in a way f- coming from a point of not understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Or whether it's trans or if it's cross-dressing or if it's, and they don't really have, you know, they don't use a, a, a word for it. They don't have a vocab for it. It's just that he happens to come in dressed up, presenting f- female is kind of what happens. And it's interesting. I don't know. This kind of brought up the question for me again, like, this responsibility of satire and like the time and things like yeah. that. Yeah, also, I mean, I think that I don't, I don't know if great satire is meant to endure. I mean, I guess sure. truly brilliant satire that comments on, you know, the nature of being and humanity, humanity in general. Right. Well, we've talked endure, about Candide before. True. Right? You know, Where it's yeah. like, it's like Candide in its. Uh, you might hear scratching. That's my cat scratching on a post. I apologize. Get it. Oh, I love kitty. fucking kidding. sweetest, and it's fine. Get it. She's I'm hungry. Angel, and Get I'm okay it. with it. Get some food. Shut up, Scott. Um, don't eat cats. Yeah, I, I don't even fucking remember what I was saying. What was I talking about? You were talking, no, no, you were talking about transphobia and... Um, oh, and the idea of satire, satire. And, and yeah, and like oh, Candide, and just like Candide has a lot of you know kind of awful. Excuse the trigger phrase, but like it has a lot of like rape in it, and it has a lot of kind of right. things that just don't like where you're like if you brought that up now, people would be like that's not funny, and you'd be like yes, but it, what it's trying to say, the bigger picture of it is still true, and you can't really negate that. It's it doesn't mean you need to you know, keep that part of the story in there for it to still be true. But um, this is, this walks that line, uh, you know, but and, it's and there's, there's been That's... like Candide in particular has been kind of, there's been a couple of modernized versions of it that right the uh, great. skate around that, you know, but yeah, I, I can totally, totally see, um, Especially like if you're at all sensitive to 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 transphobia and for and sure, all that. but I I did like it. Like I want to say that like because I found that out after reading it. It's so the I one was... that I think that he could go back and tweak for sure. And and it would uh, yeah. I don't think you could. Work. I don't think he could tweak beyond therapy. I don't think that that would. Um, it, he would have to write a whole new play. That yeah. Would, you know, right. But this I one, like I that. think he could tweak, and I think it's, 
I think it's specifically about tweaking language in that as we for sure. I'm right. trying to. I'm kind of trying to think through the script. I will say it introduced me to one of my new favorite words, which, which is, is maniac. What? A dipsomaniac. Oh, dipsomaniac. Dipsomaniac. Yeah. Yeah. I have never heard that word for an alcoholic before. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Brilliant. Yeah. No. Are we all dipsomaniacs? A little bit. Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking uh, about. Tony Shalhoub. My life. Tony Shalhoub was the original John, <laughs> which ah. is amazing to me. And then when it went off Broadway, it was William H. Yes. Oh, yeah. God fucking damn so it, that's William exciting. H. Macy. God, God damn, damn it, Macy. <laughs> I will say... Uh, <laughs> Stop cursing William H. Macy. <laughs> Look, uh, one Fuck of my you, favorite, Macy. like... He throws in such theater kid shit from time to time. Yeah. And one of my favorite lines from this was, well, if it isn't Nora five minutes after the end of a doll's house. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's good. I oh, just man. love shit like that. Yeah, he's got a lot of those. Yeah. I love that shit. Let's um, get off the bath water. Yeah, no, I, 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 I liked it. And, and mm, I can't. I I did see a production of it way back when and and liked it. It was like an okay to good, like college yeah. university kind of production of it. Colleges seem to do it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, and it's got stuff of that age range. Well, yeah, and, and for sure. You know, it's it's he, funny. It's funny, and it's, <laughs> it's funny, but, funny, but but he, you know, he. Yes, he's got this ability to sort of nail family dysfunction, give it humor. Um, but I, I also never, I always th think of these people as very human. Like they're not caricatures. I mean, I right. think that's the, the trick is that you could always, it's so easy with his work, I think, to play the absurdity and and fail to hit the comedy that, you know, you'll, well, this is this is something that I know I've monologued to the two of you about, but uh, like I am a firm like realist Russian type actor that it's like even this stuff that seems like absurd comedy is if you just play it true, it'll be fucking funny. You don't have to play at For sure. anything. If For you sure. just do it as it's written and make it honest, even though it sounds crazy, it'll be funny. And that was a lot of Churchill too, right? Where you just you just play it. You play it for what it is and it'll yeah. work. Um, but, you know, if you take into account the fact that like his plays are, on the surface, very shallow and kind of like trite in terms of the ideas they're tackling and there's tons of stereotypical people and behaviors and there's a lot of obvious choices made in the plot and like and ploys and in a lot of his plays, not in all of them, but but for some reason they all work. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's almost like he's and I this sounds so fucking Bailey to say this, but like there's <laughs> that, there's like that part of me that wonders <laughs> if he's even like satirizing satire sometimes, and I'm like. <laughs> Or is like is he genius or am I completely? It's like the line from Vanya Zonya Mash and Spike where it's like, is Constantine's play completely like ahead of its time or is it absolute bullshit? Right. Like I don't uh -huh. know. I can't tell. Both. And I, it's both at the same time. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. What's after that? Uh, next comes I think my favorite, uh, the Marriage of Bet and Boo. Nice. Your favorite? You think? Huh? I like that. Really? Yeah, okay. I, I think... So this is his certainly his most 
autobiographical, as I found out through research. Right, he's uh, like Matt, right? He's sort of Matt he is sort of the, is Matt, the and kid, he played the narrator. Matt, he played Matt in the original. Oh, production I think I read that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, um, and he was resistant to it at first, um, but a little too no, real. Th- th- this is based on his life, and and so his mom did have like three or four miscarriages, you know, because of that condition, the RH imbalance that they've since easily figured out and fixed. But um, yeah. And so what he, so in an interview I saw, he talks about the woman's body um, wouldn't have fought off the first one, but the first one creates the antibodies, creates the, uh, the stage, if you will, to fight off any future pregnancies. So all of them, uh-huh. like, so he talks about like pretty grippingly. And I guess they, his parents were both pretty honest with him that like, there was one of the babies that lived for like three or four hours. Right. Oh, and, you know, and so, and so this is what got me when I was watching this interview with him. So she, his mother went to see a production of it. Oh, and he mm, was oh like, God. he's like, listen, I, I need, I don't, I don't know if you should see this and I need to be really honest with you and here, I want you to read it. And she went and she loved it. Um, oh, and, wow. and he's like, That's he's great. like, I think it might, I think it might have been because she was just the center of attention. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but he did, he did have to testify uh, in his parents' divorce, and his father did drink too much. Right. And, awful. Yeah. That's so and awful. And very baby boomerish. But I think what struck me about it, a the structure. I love these the fast little scenes and the just the speed you can feel it makes feel. for fast reading even though it's a longish play. Yeah, and you can feel the speed of the in the script. It's written in the mm-hmm. script like this has to go a million miles an hour and um and it just got to me at the end. Like it just it just got to me and 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 all of the the absurd family members on the sides like um, the 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 father that can't speak and who seemingly has had a stroke and God the parents were just awful right they all yeah. all of them are awful like his the the what's the what's the father in law Boo Carl and Soot yeah Carl Boo. Soot and Paul and <laughs> oh, Margaret Soot, yeah. you know and and so his so he's at this point nineteen eighty five is kind of a peak in terms of baby boomer nostalgia. Um, so all of those post-war kids in the mid eighties, uh, you know, with movies like the big chill and 30 something that was on TV there back to the future, back to the future. <laughs> they're, they're all very much kind of looking at their past and how fucked up it might have been. Yeah, mm-hmm. coming to terms with how fucked up it might have been, even though it was so idealized. Right, and that's what I think this is. I think he is in the middle of it and just like in the middle of the bubble, and he's just pushing the bubble out in terms of his commentary about the relationship, like the the, the sister that had the husband Nikos. Nikos, the, the, the husband that we never meet, that we never meet, that just goes away and, and all that stuff and, and how the family treats her as this sort of, um, 
you, you know, this sort of, you know, mal malformed, you know, entity that <sighs> exists because she can't keep a husband. At the same time, then you have Emily, who's doesn't have a husband, who seems to be sort of lost. Which is a whole other, yeah. like, load of baggage and, and concerns to the family. Um, they think that she's like, just, they've written her off, basically. Yeah. Um, but I've never seen a production of this, but it, it really hit me. It really affected me um, in reading it. I, it was the one that I most emotionally responded to, whether or not I could totally connect with it or not. Um, it, I just thought, you know, it was the anti sort of Rock Hudson Doris Day, um, you know, 1950s, mm. you know, perfect family kind of, you know, and at that point, that's what the baby boomers were doing. And there's a twist that comes later on where I think he, and I think a lot of baby boomers do, start getting afraid and then try and grasp and hold on to dear life to that right. nostalgia. Um, they're you doing guys it right make now. Make America <laughs> Yeah, they're doing it right now. Yes. Um, but yeah, the marriage of Betty and, Bet and Boo, I, I it just, uh, I think... Um, a, I, I, I want to give him credit for sort of burying himself like that. I mean, I think that's the mm. trick to any great artist is to go, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna lay my life out. And you can see the build to it. You can see him dealing mm -hmm. with so many of these subject matters, you know, the family dysfunction and child abuse and alcoholism and religion and Catholicism in particular. And then he comes to this and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to lay it bare and then creates this insane, amazing structure to it. And the, the characters, you know, are all, they're all three-dimensional. That's the one thing I, I, yeah. I that you have to say about all of his work is that it's easy not to play that three, that, that, that those three dimensions. Absolutely. Um, like it's easy to fall into the trap of just playing this, these caricatures, but they're all really human and it just struck me. So. I'll end Notable castings: Joan Allen as Bet. Yes. Oh uh, yeah, it's just like what I want to see that so bad. She's uh, one of my favorites. I think she's just she's one fantastic. of the most elegant think... American actresses. Olympia Dukakis. As Olympia Soot. Dukakis was in the original. There, uh, uh, Mercedes Rule. Mercedes Rule. No, Olympia Dukakis was in. Uh, if she wasn't on the Broadway, she was at least in the Joseph Papp um, right. public public theater yeah. production. I think something that really got to me about this show too, especially now like talking to it afterwards, cause I'm reading my notes and this isn't in there at all, but like, I know so many women and I've heard so many women talk about the experience of losing a child. And I have so much, I like, I know a girl that lost a kid a couple years ago and there was, there was plenty of medical explanation about why mm. it was obvious why it happened and she still like cannot let go she kill she still cannot stop blaming herself for it Ugh. and i have so much sympathy and bet i had so much sympathy for bet because it's like women that that have this condition that that experience this that that just want to have kids that keep losing them 
the fact that like you go to the person that you feel can give you the answers, your Catholic priest, this church that you have been following, that you got married under, that you're following all the rules for, and you're just going to these people for comfort, for an mm. answer, and they have nothing. No. And in fact, in, in the worst cases, they make you feel even more guilty for it. And I think that's what really kind of hit me about this play. And it yeah. just, it, 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 even though it's supposed to be absurdist and funny at some points, it just makes me so sad yeah. and, and sad and sorry for those women and, and ultimately their husbands that go through that as well. Yeah. Yeah. This one was hard for me for that reason is that, you know, not that it was finding comedy in, in that part so much, but you know, I have, um, Someone very, very close to me, extremely close to me, actually, who uh, has had six miscarriages. <sighs> and then subsequently three children but bef who lived and have had great lives. But it's just sort of like um, it's one of those things that, yeah, you never really let go of. And I think seeing this play would be hard for that person. And Absolutely. Whereas, you know, his mother could take it and maybe, maybe didn't even really see see it for what it was maybe it was even a little blinded by the fact that it was her story and knowing it was her and like there's kind of a fun side to that but I think for someone else I think if I put this show up I would not even invite my mother right know, or my or somebody I knew who had gone through this kind of thing so I just well and everyone grieves differently you never know you know sure. it, it might actually reach out to someone and make them feel better about the situation that they're in you know absolutely I think um I was I was just gonna say that you know I think that one of the most profound lines, um, I got one too from all of Drang was um, was from 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 Benton Boo and it's I don't think God punishes, punishes people, for, people specific for specific things. things, I think He punishes people in general for no reason. That was and it's just too. like it reminds me. Um, are you guys you guys familiar with Stephen Fry? Actor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I'm not. Uh, he's a he's a you would know him if you saw him. He's bit of a bit of I'm sure I would. Yeah, Fry and Laurie okay. and, and all that. But he's he's sort of a renowned atheist, and he does a famous interview with some British theologian, somebody from the 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 C of E, um, and they're talking about God and all that. And so the the theologian looks at Stephen Fry and says, "Okay, well." Put, put, put your beliefs aside. Let's say there is a God and let's say you get to ask him one question. What question would it be? And without blinking, without hesitation, Stephen Fry goes, tell me about uh, eye cancer in children. Tell me what your rationale is for, for putting that kind of suffering on a child. Which, by the way, is the question that Sister Mary Ignatius skips right asked of her in the yes. index yes card. yeah it says why is this if god is so great and can do anything and can end suffering why doesn't he end it yeah and she just looks up shakes her head and and skips to the next question yeah. and you're just like of course oh that's that's what i'm saying yep any more on uh bet and boo no that was my line too i was gonna yeah i mean it just it just surprised me i guess in reading it and, and how thoughtful it was and how painful it was and how sad it was under the umbrella of this yeah. brilliantly constructed absurdist thing. The baby's flying. <laughs> just Jesus. the dead babies on the ground. is just it, 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 train it's, spotting. Oh my God. It fucking, it just reminds me of, you know, 
Monty Python's Meaning of Life, where the yeah. the, the woman's just standing there and oh my God, drops a baby on the, the ground and asks her other kid to pick it up because she's got all the children dishes to do. Could was... you grab that, dearie? <laughs> Jesus, Christ. Jesus Christ! Like it's it's so fucking like. Uh, yeah. Uh, next up was Laughing Wild, which so, uh, I didn't reread. I'd read it years ago, and yeah, this is the one that I. I pulled a monologue from uh, t- and I got into Hogwarts with. So nice. this is, uh, there's a monologue and it's actually, the whole thing is basically two stream of conscious monologues. Right. And then the third act is, is the two it. people who, yeah, I did too, who are together in like a dream state kind of thing. And it's like about a, um, uh, this is for the listener, not for you two. Uh, the, the, you know, there's a sort of, um, a woman who's kind of unstable and you can't tell what she's going through, but she's hit somebody at the supermarket. And then the other monologue is the guy that she hit at the supermarket. Yeah. Everything is intertwined. Yes. I really like it. Um, this is what I, I, I did this one monologue. That's the potato monologue. He does mm, this potato I know what you're talking. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah right uh, one on. time I had a dream that my father was inside of a baked potato. <laughs> and I did that for, for Beatty Pettigrew at Hogwarts. And it was like, the first time I really felt like, oh, I could maybe like be good at this, like, you know, at this thing called theater uh, from the way that she treated me about it, but also because it's not a great audition monologue, right? It's sort of like this weird kind of story monologue, which you're not supposed to bring into auditions, right? You're not supposed to like just tell a story. Um, But the way that it, and this is just Durang, this is Durang, not me. The way that it, um, evolves into like how his feelings about his own father and the fact that he like tells his therapist about it and his therapist is like it's Oedipal and he's like fuck that I just need to answer you know <laughs> I, it's a really good monologue um, but I I realized I had never read the full play like I, I knew that monologue and I knew other parts of it but I had never sat down and read it until now I don't think and now I'm I'm quite fond of it this is a good one this is a good one. Some more bi stuff in here I didn't love. The female character is a little weird in terms of unstableness. She's crazy. But, but if you get rid of that <clears throat> sense of it, it's actually, I, this is one of his best. Yeah. yeah. I, like um, I, have, I have two lines that I wanted to bring out and then a final statement on this. My two favorite lines were cry and you cry alone. Laugh and you cry alone later. (laughs) (laughs) And then another, the late, the woman said that. And then the man said, God, life is monstrous, isn't it? (laughs) I was like, I want to, I just want to use that. It's a good line. Um, I, this was the one that hit me big time was, uh, it was the line, say, I feel bad. I can choose to feel good. And this was something that kind of hit me between the eyes about like eighties therapy mentality. I think I was yelling at Scott about this. Um, When I was a kid and someone, whether it was my brother or my parents or something that happened in school that made me feel bad and I would come home upset about it, my parents would always tell me, you choose how you feel. It's Hmm. can't, you can't make them take responsibility. And I don't know if that was like a seventies, eighties thing, but it always stuck with me to where if I felt bad about something for the longest time, I was like, I'm a bad person. I'm weak because this person made me feel bad as opposed to making other people take responsibility for being shitty. Mm. Um, And that just, 
Uh, yeah, I just, goddamn, was I gaslit as yeah. a child. Like, yeah. that just real, and I think, I think it was a mentality. I think it was people that, I think people were telling parents to tell their children that. Right. Like, because that's what I was always told as a kid. I had to take responsibility for my feelings and never ask and and never hold anybody accountable for right. that when somebody did something shitty right yeah. woof woof yeah and this is very uh this is uh this plague hits that hard guys the I'm, 80s I'm need not... to be turned into child services y'all <laughs> i'm not masturbating tonight guys <laughs> <laughs> well you can't now <laughs> no no i've been talking about dead babies whi- i've got too much whiskey anyway do you guys have anything else about laughing wild because we could no. there's a few coming up that we can kind of just like jet through yeah when um when was uh for for whom the southern bell tolls when was that uh that's coming up in about three plays because it got produced uh within durang durang in 1996 okay. okay cool yeah um so next is naomi in the living room which i have not read yep um, I directed it uh, oh. when I was in college. I directed it at my high school. Oh, so wow. I went back and I was there. My name is Bailey and I've done theater since I was born. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I went back to my high school to direct uh, or I did their after school improv program for a year. And then they were like, hey, you want to direct this show? So I directed Durang Durang. And um, it was super fun. And we threw... Naomi in the living room into it, even though it's not normally part of it, but it's short enough that we were like, this is going to be like a bigger chunk of this. And it's like, uh, it's like a guy coming back. If I remember correctly, I didn't reread it, but I'm pretty sure it's like a guy and his, and his partner coming, his, his girlfriend or wife, I can't tell, uh, is coming back to see his old childhood home or something like that. And the woman who is completely insane, um, if I'm remembering correct correctly, but I just remember having the fucking hardest time with the kids who are in this one and it yeah. turning out like complete shit. Uh. So that's my experience with this one. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. Another crazy woman that he writes, which is another discussion to be had maybe at some point about his female characters. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, next up it well would be Durang, uh, Durang Durang. Right. Well, so yeah, so there's Sex and Longing was the yeah. same year, and that was technically before, and that one just got destroyed in the reviews, yeah. and it's just not like not very good. Apparently. Yeah, that but, was kind of uh, yeah his down period. Yeah, and people were like, oh, I guess you're you're done. Um, and he had taken some years off before that one, so it was supposed to be like this big comeback. It was like like eight years later, and it was just shit. So then he does Durang Durang, which is a bunch of his shorts that he had been writing in that sort of big break period. And it opens with one called Mrs. Sorkin, which is right. a woman teaching you the, the etiquette of how to watch theater. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's super good. It's like, it's, it's, it's. That reminds it's, me of Raisa a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very Raisa. Yeah. It's very like, let's. Raisa, by the way, to anyone who doesn't know, you should know if you don't, um, is this incredible thing that uh, Burglars of Ham, I believe, uh, devised. Yeah. They're writing theater collective um yes and they devised an incredible show that i saw actually in fringe that scott was in and it was fucking phenomenal so good. And one of my faves to not give time. anything away about it and to not like just because it's got to be seen it needs to be put up oh, again and again the idea is that you're wearing headphones the whole time and the director is constantly telling you what he meant and what is going on by 
what is happening on stage. So you're not even really paying attention to the show. You're just listening to this director. And it is, as a theater artist, I walked out so angry that I did not think of it. I was like, how did I not come up with this? How is this not my idea? And it just, it's upsetting and amazing. Burglars of ham, y'all. Burglars of ham. They were great. They're amazing to work with because like there's... Well, depending on what day of the week it is, like they they, <laughs> they can expand and contract. But um, sure. the detail that's put into so basically the premise is, is that you know there's the, the director has discovered this uh, old this, text this old Jacobian. text of a, an old Swedish master that uh, that that has long been forgotten. He's presenting it to you, but he wants to make sure you understand. So all the sh- the craziness that you're watching on stage is you have to commit to it a hundred percent. Like the details right. of, of, of that world are, are as important as, as what he's saying. And, and it it's was very fun and it's very meta and it's just like kind of everything you want in a theater experience. And I, I just hope it has like a long life after the performances that it got. But um, Mrs. Sorkin is very in that vein of like, okay, let me come out and like tell, tell you, you you're about to watch a show. What you're going to see. And <laughs> it's about this. And the rest of it is basically the Monty Python of it all. It's like sketches. Like one's a, at a DMV and it's just an annoying person who works at the DMV. <laughs> and one is like at a funeral and it's very like, uh, what's the one with um, all the, with, the like nineties crew, uh, Bill, what is it? Where they stand over the guy's, uh, um, coffin and they're just like Bill Baskins. What a great guy or whatever it is. (laughs) And they just tell jokes about how big he was or whatever. It's sort of that, uh, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but one one of the little masterpieces is for whom the Southern bell tolls. Yeah, which which I had totally forgotten I had seen before, and it yeah, tell us about your experience with that. It's a parody on the Glass Menagerie, sort of. Right, and uh, so yeah, I ahead. just had I, I it was I think at the top of the show I was talking about it. I saw this young woman do it and play all four of the characters. Oh, and she was yeah 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 that yeah in, in humorous interp. In forensics, you you do all of the characters, gotcha. and so it was her playing, doing the whole fucking thing, and you know, and you know, sixteen, seventeen year old Scott just was, just you know, I I was in love, like it was it was yeah. so funny, um, and but also sad, like like that's the thing is that it just like all of his other stuff, like if you play it. As the comedy, as a sketch comedy, because it's probably a what fifteen minute scene, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you play it that way, then it, it loses everything. You have to. She, that poor mother just wants to get out of that. She, she, <laughs> she. You know, and you have to find that balance, or you know, it it, it just becomes a sketch. And yeah. As a Absolutely. sketch, in in if you if he would have written it as a five minute sketch, then that would have been one thing. But it's a fifteen minute scene that's a spoof on Glass Menagerie, right? <laughs> and it's and it's funny. I mean, it's, it's you know hilarious. there's some there's some moments. You know, I mean, CJ, I think you even said the first script you found had redacted words in it. Yeah, there's there's yeah. Like, because a the high one school thing about Durang that has not aged other than some of the stuff we've already talked about is he, he loves the use of the R bomb. So 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, oh, I'll yeah. be honest that that word has only in the last decade become something that has been talked about right. as not being said. Right. So yeah, right. I think that's something I would cut if I was not doing... saying he's a horrible. Asshole. No, no, no. Um, and he likes, you know, uh, there's a few other uh, words that he likes to use in this one as well that you're just like, oh, you know, I would cut that if I was doing it, but, um, <laughs> but, but it's also and for a high school like we had to cut a, a good amount, but it's also just like hilarious for people who also don't know glass menagerie it's still funny like it yeah. still has yeah. its yeah, own, yeah, like, yeah. american theater sort of goofiness to it i so, call this one q-tip because it looks like a q-tip <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so, okay, like, no you, you know, want to play that character i Scott. do like it's just like yeah, it's like i'm too. way too old to play it but that would, it's just but that would actually be hilarious <laughs> It'd be better if you played him, Scott. (laughs) Just Um, anyway, I was trying to go to sleep. (laughs) Why are you in your nightshirt? I was trying to go to bed. I don't. I get sick when I meet people. Like it's just just, just just a great fucking. The guy we cast, I remember, he was real tall, like six three, and kind of a bigger (laughs) guy. And we just and and, but he had like kind of a higher pitched voice. He was he was just like a more like, just like a uh, soft is a good word. Just like a very kind, like kind of teddy bear kind of guy. Like just never said a bad word about anybody. And so he he just played it very like. Child like I'm just a kid. Like I just this one's called Q-tip because looks like a Q-tip. Like and it just it sold. It worked. I really liked it. Um, but yeah. So anyway, we can hop off of Durant. Uh, I'm just thinking of Leggett playing that part. That would be fucking brilliant. I'm. We're gonna do it now. Now, now we have to do it. Um, uh, but then dramatic reading from theater. Theater. We could do it. Uh, and then the next one is one of my tops, actually. Oh. So I'm excited to talk okay. about it. This is uh, the 1999 Betty's Summer Vacation. Mm-hmm. Oh. So this is kind of his big comeback after Sex and Longing was completely just ripped apart. Uh, he puts this one out there and basically every review is like, he's back. He's done it. It's it's the next big like thing. And yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And <laughs> right. And he um, it's it's another one where it's. Okay, I mean, there's a bisexual serial killer, so you're like, okay. You know, like, there's... You got things like that that don't super work for me, but it's, it's like, horrifying and silly at the same time. It's fucked up and disturbing, but, like, in the way you kind of want it to be. Um, but then the back... Ha- and there's a, um, there's a uh, laugh track through the whole thing. Oh, and shit. the laugh track starts to like distort and become like more sinister at when it laughs. So it's like oh, something right. horrible will be said that you would never laugh at. And the laugh track will like burst out hardcore right, and things right. like, <laughs> and then at the end, the, everything just devolves and the whole stage comes apart and it becomes a court TV episode. And it's, amazing it's Ooh, I, I love that i'm shit. kind of obsessed with it because it's very time capsule of like the 90s because court tv was very then but also court tv is still a huge true crime of all of it and all true of it crime. sbu yeah. law and order absolutely. all that shit every my bit of parents it. made me a murderino absolutely and and well the 90s made us murderinos dude like the yeah. 90s like they're like i would stay up and watch dateline with my parents and then i'd go to bed like sitting there like oh my god somebody's gonna come get me like john benet ramsey like i don't like you just well you also lived in the it. land of uh what BTK. was the one? 
BTK. Yeah, that's the crazy thing is that BTK what was actually killing in the 70s. And if you watch Mindhunter, he's the opening scene of every mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. of Mindhunter, but they haven't they don't really talk about him very much. But then uh in the 90s uh and early 2000s all of a sudden and they hadn't caught him yet and all of his killings were in the 70s and early 80s. And then all of a sudden the police stations and uh KSN news and all of these places start getting uh like notes from him. And they're like, oh, fuck. So they start calling curfews. And we all had, they shut down Wichita. And it was like this huge deal. And people's phone lines were being cut in their houses. And like all this crazy shit where you're like, is this pranks? Is it not pranks? What's going on? And then they caught the motherfucker. And I'm pretty sure he's still in prison in El Dorado, Kansas. And he's, uh, he's, a, he's a fucking An piece of trash. An enormous douchebag. Yeah. Piece of trash. Uh, he was a Boy Scout leader. He was all these things. I don't know why we got into that. But basically, Betty, Summer Vacation is a is the read I think everybody should go check out. I would love to produce it sometime. I would love to check it out sometime. I think it has its flaws, but I think if you handle it correctly, it can be sort of his killer Joe. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that kind of vibe. Christopher where you're like, Durang's killer <laughs> Why not, right? Right. I, I, seriously, in. I want y'all to read this because this just, was one I read on a whim because I was just Durang bored. and Let's seem like opposite ends of the spectrum. But Absolutely. But 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 think about their absurdity, right? They both have used absurdity in, in similar ways, whereas Durang always uses it. Let's has dipped into it with, with Joe and a couple other things. I feel like this is his his like biggest dive in because he's always got dark themes there's always a dark undertone to everything he's doing but this is the one where where i think he's like oh you want to see like where my mind goes sometimes (laughs) (laughs) let's see shepherd and durang and yeah yeah Uh, yeah but anyway after that uh is i know he had another musical which i don't know anything about in 2002 it was mrs bob cratchit's wild christmas bin yeah yeah It sounds like fun. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> I'd watch it, honestly. Um, let's move on to Miss Witherspoon. <laughs> yeah. Um, thoughts? Uh, so 2005, Time Magazine said that it was in the top 10 plays of 2005. But I got to be honest, this is kind of a mediocre play. To me. I, I read this I, I couldn't get through it. Uh, yeah. I kind of, yeah, oh, I kind of really? tried. And I was like, uh, I don't know what it was, and I, I had no other problems with his, and maybe, maybe I should definitely go back and read it now. But it's, it's like smart, and it's like I read it in college, and I just kind of skimmed it over to remember it, and it's like a send up of life on Earth, right? Like that's yeah, it. like it's sort of like isn't life on Earth so shitty? And here's all the reasons, but. I think he does the family stuff better in better in Bet and Boo, and I think he does the theology stuff better in Sister Mary, and therefore makes this kind of a mediocre okay. play. Because I'm like, oh, you've kind of already done these things better. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I think this was the play that I was reading, and I was the perfect amount of whatever to where I was like, oh, the meaning of life <laughs> is to find meaning. In were, your life. were you high? That sounds like a high idea if I ever heard one. I know, but I've said it sober and I'm like, no, that makes sense. That's good sense. The CJ. meaning of life I, is to find a meaning to your life. I mean, yeah. Is to find meaning in your oh, life, yeah, you for as sure. a person. For sure. I No hate. Yeah, tell no, me I why you that. love this play. Because I, I didn't reread I, it, so 
it's not that I love it. It was a close, like when we do our three at the end, this was a close fourth for me gotcha. behind my top three. Gotcha. I really liked it. I liked the different characters. I, I saw what he was doing with the whole afterlife thing and her going back and not wanting to go back. I think, I I don't know. I don't know that I loved this play. I, I just dug it. And I saw what he was trying to work through. And I don't know that it makes him... I don't know that it makes it the best play in his anthology, right. but um, let's see. I did write a couple quotes for this one. Um, in order to survive, we must find a way to break through the centuries of stressing tribal differences and evolve to finding tribal and human similarities. Mm. <laughs> um, and for me personally, that hit me between the eyes. Um, I was I used to house manage for KI, which is a big reconstructionist Jewish community in LA, like Pacific, Pacifically Pacific Palisades. And their rabbi gave this big sermon during Rosh Hashanah one time about how we need, and this was like 12 years ago for me, but it was like, we need to stop separating ourselves because of our differences and we need to start embracing and celebrating our similarities and he was talking about like religion and 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 ethnicities and everything and i just i think that this play tapped mm. into that for right me on. a little bit that's legit and i just dig that i mean i think it's um it kind of made me smirk a little bit because i'm like well this is incredibly idealistic right now because it does feel like we're completely fucking divided yeah and I, you know there's so many people on both sides that are saying like well we need to reach out and stuff and yeah i mean i could get why right now this is kind of a hard play to read mm. <laughs> um but but yeah, I just I think it just tapped that little like soft spot in my soul brain heart. That's legit. Whatever that is. Yeah. Hard. Do you have any lines from it that you liked? Well, the in order to survive one, right. um uh I can't live my life by statistics, mm. which just particularly made me think mm, of right now yeah. because I'm looking up coronavirus statistics every day cuz I've got a weird math brain on the inside. And everyone in my family gets Alzheimer's. So dad's like, do math in your head. It helps. Yeah. Um, and then the other one that I had was, I am not Mahatma Gandhi. I am an emotionally damaged woman with poor follow through and little braver, bravery. And I am not about to be sent back to live uh. in the Stone Age. I simply refuse. <laughs> I like that. Like that. I like that. That's good. Uh, um, anything else about Witherspoon? Witherspoon? Not for Witherspoon? me. Going once, going no. twice. I didn't hate it. I liked it. I didn't hate it either. I don't remember hating it. I just remember being like, yeah, you've kind of done this already, yeah. man. But I yeah. get it. Um, I dig. 07, he does Adrift in Macau, which I think is another musical, yeah. but I don't know anything yeah. about it. Uh, I don't either. And then in 09, this is one I have a huge problem with, and we don't need to s sit on it unless you guys have anything to say, but why torture is wrong and the people who love them. I didn't read it, but I was fascinated by it on title alone. Yeah, so. it's interesting. Did you read it, Scott? Did no, I just glanced it? through it. I, I Basically, like it's the hardest production to put on ever for a group of actors because it it's like dealing with this woman's life is like so awful and isn't this funny. And it it he even in his foreword for it and in his actor's notes, he's like, I don't want this to be a play about laughing at abuse and there's a fine line for that but i think that's why 
this is one of those plays that you, like I don't think just anybody should be putting up. Right. Is what I mean. Right. You know, like you should really take it seriously because the the physical demands, it's full of violence towards this woman. Like tons of it. Her son is constantly uh-huh. coming in like throwing her on the ground for laughs. Like that's half of the comedy of the show. It's 09, which is interesting uh by the like it's just it's a weird one. You know what, it's a weird one. You know what that reminds me of? Did did y'all see I Tanya? Yeah. yeah. That was a film that like I I really thought was a great well done yeah. film. Yeah, it's great. And and I have never seen such complicated abuse scenes. Sure. Where the way they're underscoring it and the way that the writing is and whatever makes you laugh, but the violence is very very real. Sure. And like I I didn't see it as funny so much as like it hit me so much that I would talk to people about it and they'd be like I I would want to talk to people about it and I talked to some people who were like oh I hated it the violence was awful yeah and for me it just it just kind of like I just thought it was interesting interestingly done yeah um so yeah that's what that reminds me of. yeah it's just it's a difficult subject in general and I think of course uh, you know if you're gonna put on this show you'd have to have a really good reason to do it and I just don't know that there is one right now. Mm. Uh, well, now I want to read it. <laughs> Check it out and let me know. Yeah, maybe we can do a little uh, uh, look back corner next How time. How big is the cast? If, if yeah. up... mm-hmm. I think it's only like six. Okay. It's small. Well, oh, maybe wow. we get um, a crew together and we do a little reading. Sounds great. <laughs> um, so after that, this is the this is the biggin. <sighs> This is the uh, this is the one that sort of I enjoyed this so yeah, much. Yeah, this is the 2012 <laughs> Tony winning and namesake of our podcast. With David Hyde Pearson, Vanya and Sonia, and podcast and Spider. <laughs> Me, your mom, Jesus, and your dog, <laughs> baby Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah. I think um, I I. I, I obviously really enjoyed it. I mean, not obviously. What's yes. You know, what's interesting is as I went digging into like reviews and stuff like that, it wasn't like a universally loved thing amongst critics. And there were some critics who were like, why did, why did this win the Tony? Like there, there's yeah. some of that. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, there shit. were some people who were like, it, it's, there's, I mean, I think that that's often the criticism of him, of Durang is, um, he people throw fluffy at him there's not enough meat on the bone um i think the generally that those are people that just aren't getting it or aren't like open yeah to i was it. gonna say i think there's plenty of meat yeah i can see how easily this could go awry for the same reasons that his other plays go awry and that is if you yeah. play these character characters as characters and you don't find the 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 rounded humanity of it then right it, it won't work there were also people who had issues with like the housekeeper and uh, <laughs> cassandra yeah the well a, there's when she was I one of my favorite it. characters I, and I, was, yeah, I would love to play that but i can't but it's I'm not, not allowed a, so why because it's actually well, not specified it's not yeah there's nothing oh specified. Uh, for some reason i thought it no, no it was that's, that's actually my problem with the casting is that it doesn't it shouldn't be like it's kind of oh, fucked up okay, that it is, okay. right? So to yeah. me, I'm like, I think we should be putting that up and with different races playing the the leads and then and going, you know, because it's just not. Right. It's not yeah, you it, could have yeah. any. You could have Sonia could be any 
person of color because she's adopted. Absolutely. 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 And I think we could play a little better, maybe. I think so, too. Yes. Yeah. I think there's a lot of um, there's some exciting things about this one. It's, you know, knowledge of Chekhov definitely helps. Sure. Uh, for yeah. some of the laughs. But I feel like it, it actually goes back to that that Sorkin thing or the, uh, you know, some of the other ones where it's like it feels like a little bit of an inside joke because we're theater people and then we're like there like maybe the other people don't get it like this is funny to yeah. me because they're making these references <laughs> and also but but you also have to kind of be ready for his style and absurdity when you go in right so like i don't know how an audience that isn't a new york theater going audience would have actually received this play right. i've never seen it i haven't heard of a lot of production going for but i just wonder about that like i wonder if it would have been received differently had it been different sort of audiences because it's a very it is actually a very tony esque play sure. like it's yeah. just very easy for that yeah. it's like let's cast for yeah. like ma massive people and like but it's this is an interesting part of it you know me and my awards shit um Okay, so it wins basically all the awards. It wins like the Obie and the New York Playwrights and the and the Olivier and like the I don't think it won, the <laughs> but it wins like wins like every award that it gets nominated for in terms of like the the script okay and the play itself, mm -hmm. and it gets a the Tony for best play. Billy Magnus Magnuson, who played Spike and is in like you know Les Mis and things like that, he gets his first nomination for a Tony. Every okay. single, David Hyde Pierce gets his nomination uh, and every single actor in it, except for Cassandra and Sigourney gets a nomination. Every single one, wow. okay. including Nina, okay? okay? Who gets it for um, Featured, right? Okay? And uh -huh. uh, it was Genevieve Angelson mm -hmm. who, this was her first professional role, okay? God And she gets it. a feature. <laughs> Tony nomination. Now I'm already too old. Nicholas Martin gets a nomination for direction. Every single okay. person involved in this basically gets a nomination, and Sigourney doesn't. The a lot of the reviews basically state exactly what you're saying, Scott, about Durang is that she is seems to be playing more at the material than anyone mm. else on stage, and therefore it doesn't really work as well. But then the sort of okay. the, the kind of discussion is like, well, but she's she's this stereotype. She's this like she's the different energy. She's she's the opposite. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. But then there's the question of is she too close to Durang? Like they're best friends, right? Like, is she too close? Like, does she just get it too much? And so she's like, you'll get it, too. And or okay. what is it? I don't know. But she doesn't get the nom and nobody wins. Right. Not a single huh. one of them, not director, not set, not anything. Just Nothing like, yes, wins. fine. You did the most recent Durang. It was fine. It was good. All the theater people like Yeah, it, it was like, <laughs> here, you win. This is the best thing we saw this year. But none of you are were the best things that we saw this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting yeah. moment. Sigour Sigourney um, bears the brunt of, of the harshest criticism that I read. Like where people yeah. were like, well, there was a couple. There were a couple that were like off Broadway, where it started at the Lincoln Center thing, then it moved to yeah. Broadway, and it's like, oh, they yeah. all grew after the fact. Well, and there's a lot of hate. I mean, there's that initial sort of like, I'm going to see a huge blockbuster star 
in this yeah. five person play or six person play. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to go in with the sort of like idea in my head already kind of preconceived ideas that you are going to be over the top and shitty because you are a blockbuster actress. So she does that, which by the way, like one of our greatest legendary living actresses who doesn't have an Oscar. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Uh, but, but she's so, one of the few oh, people to be nominated, have dual nominations. She got, that's she, right. And be in Rick and Morty. That's, that's right. <laughs> we stand. That's just yeah. a great scene. It's Gorny. a great, it's a great hey, episode. Gorny, if you listen, she probably hates that. Gorny. Friend of the podcast. If, super deep friend of the pod. Um, <laughs> she, she doesn't even know. It's so deep that she doesn't even she know. She pizza. That, she never yeah. sent us pizza. Um, we stand a legend. Delicious. If you listen to the pod, hit us up. Uh, we love your um, nutsack. Uh, so uh, something I also loved about this is um, something I brought up earlier, which is the seagull references and the Chekhovian references and the and all this kind of stuff where he says, you know, I can't tell if Constantine's play in the seagull is ahead <laughs> of its time or if it's completely rotten you know and you're just like that's like the epitome of durang right, of totally. like a sort of everybody you that's... also just said that like <laughs> i know well that's what i was trying to do yeah it's it, and, and david hyde pierce dude oh yeah did can i, I read you my favorite line from his oh, totally, yeah um well first of all i think we need to say that they while they were like rehearsing and getting ready to put this play up they had to change lines because some of the climactic horrible actions that were that they were talking about in the play threatening happening happening actually happened oh fuck so they had to change which i'm guessing i was 2012 i know that was hurricane katrina right was right around that time oh right uh, no no that was 2006 i'm sorry no you're right, right I but thinking... i think i remember there's something about this where it's like 2012 had some horrible climactic shit happen because of global warming anyway he said if you're reading this then the world hasn't come yeah. to an end <laughs> but if but if it's about to and you've chosen to spend your last minutes reading vanya and sonia and Mashin's bike then good for you <laughs> what a way to go <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's real. It's a fun, fun ride. It is. And and his monologue in the second act is, you know, I mean, that's where it's at. Although, so this is, this is the irony that I, that caught me in, in reading and the irony of Duran. The majority of, especially his rise as, as a playwright is an indictment on on the baby boomer generation. He's critical of, of how we were raised. He's critical about, you know, uh, alcoholism, how, how children were raised, how families were dysfunctional, all this stuff. But then that monologue is distinctly nostalgic in going, oh, but it was better then. And, yeah. and you know, he gets some criticism and some digs in on, you know, social media and... You know, I, you know, iPhone and, and smartphone generation of of people, which is which is all fine. But that it's the only thing that gives me pause. I think it's that monologue is is really moving, especially if you play it right. And Vanya is kind of watching through the whole play and he's kind of he makes his comments and he's funny and all that. But by the time you get to that monologue where he just unleashes uh, yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's great and it's pointed and all that. 
um, I just found I just found some irony in that. In in this is I I, I hate to be one of those people that, that okay boomers, um, generate mm. okay boomer. Do it. But but they're yeah, do it. it's a generation that well you have to first of all think of it in these terms. They are the most pandered to generation ever. So as they they start to be born in the late 40s and 50s, as television rises, there's a huge influx of, of babies. And all TV, all marketing, all all of that becomes, they, they are in the crosshairs of that. Right. Coupled with mm-hmm. um, a paralyzing greatest generation that came back from the war and stopped and everything was okay. They didn't deal with analysis. They didn't deal with therapy. They buried all of their shit, which is why you right. had, you know, the repressive 50s and then the explosion in the 60s. And that's what all this mm-hmm. right now is about, right? Let's get back to where it was just repressed and we didn't talk right, about right. it. Can and, we get back to that, please? Right. Make it great again. Right. And so I I don't think he's indicting any younger generations. Um, at the no. same time, you can see him as a baby boomer kind of and you see it all the time now because you know it was it was a generation that also got suckered you know they were the generation that you know a peace and love and protest and and change and oh then they turned around and and 10 years later they were yuppies and now none of us can have any have any fun because of the if i could quote uh a song um by the great uh pamela quinn um a baby boomer absurdist humor do rang do rang do rang well i've just to to add on to what you were saying about his big final monologue i think someone something that struck me and i think the people that would be reading it and hearing it differently was he was talking about like you know there were these limited amount of television stations and it was one consciousness and everybody was watching and thinking the same thing and i'm like i was thinking in my head yeah, but that's cool. But I know so many people that are like creative, different individuals from me, which we wouldn't have if it was still the same. And I, I, I don't know, that's super idealistic sounding, but it's one of those things where it's like, I get the like united conscious and stuff, but at the same time, it's like not having that has made people kind of get to be who they want right. to be. I, I think that yeah. the, the, the criticism of that is on the flip side, then everybody has created their own individual bubbles. So yeah. that I, so that's great. I, I don't, but not, bubbles, no, I don't but... know if that is good. I, I don't, I mean, talk to a Trump supporter today who only watches Fox news, who only looks at Breitbart news, who only, or, or any of us that are strictly within our, our, our parameters. Yeah. Look at the reaction. You know, we, we, we talked at, uh, during the primaries, 500 years ago it seems but back in january you know in california they, you know all of our friends were were rooting for elizabeth warren all, you could see it on facebook and 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 that she it, that wasn't even remotely close to being the truth so when so i i see his point in that the indictment is that you can entirely create your own bubble and live and exist in your own bubble think that you're getting information and i so so I think that there's a balance to be struck because I, I do think that there is something in, uh, and I, va- I, I have memories of this as a kid that you would watch, you know, whoever the anchor was, Peter Jennings or Frank Reynolds or whoever the, you know, you know 
Charles Curl, whoever was hosting the news, but you were only watching one of three news sources, period. Right. As a collective, right. Right. Walter, as Cronkite. A, oh, Walter Cronkite, as a collective, Cronkite. we were all watching the, you know, people were all watching you know, the moon landing all at the same time. And Mad Men's great for right. this feeling. And I so, think. and, and we've now done the flip side where people are completely unaware of, of events that are happening because of how they restrict and how they watch their news. So I get what he's saying. And, uh, you know, it's, it's grass is always greener on the other side. On the flip side, then it was easier to manipulate masses. It was easier to sell and market to masses. And right. So, and so Absolutely. as we you know, try to struggle with, you know, you can't, op- you can't, you know, open your phone without being inundated with ads and with, you know, sign up for this, sign up for that. But at the same time, talking about all of America watching the moon landing and everything, it makes me think of the first time I took a global media class and I was like, holy shit, there's all this other stuff going on in the world. And I have, I mean, even now in 2020, American news is so filtered even, and I know, I know that we've got all the problem with Fox news and thank you, Reagan and George HW and all that stuff. Fairness doctrine. It's like, there's still, yes, there's yes. Thank you. That's, that's what I needed. Uh, but there's still so much going on that we don't have any idea about, too. So yeah. it's it's a good and a bad yeah. thing, like the way that everything's opened up. And- yeah. And I don't want to also distract detract from it's a charming motherfucker of a play. Like, you know, and it would be a great I evening. I loved of, it. Of play watching. Yeah, I think this yeah. is definitely I honestly would argue maybe as funny as play. Uh, like in terms of how many times I laughed while just reading. Right. Right. Where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm laughing out loud at this. This is funny. Because if I was pacing Agreed. it this way, it would be very funny. La-ha-ha. And there's no dead babies right? but, in it. No dead babies. And But I would also argue maybe of his more famous ones, like maybe the least poignant, yeah. maybe. I think this is the way that any modern playwright should honor an old playwright. Because what... Sure. It, uh, Kushner did a Goethe play. Like this is the yeah. one that I read it, and I'm like, this is Chekhov, and also it's yeah. not Chekhov. Yeah. And no, I no, it. totally. Um, I agree. Um, let's. Is there anything else you guys want to say no, about? Uh, no, do we want to do Sonya? one? One oh, last God. thing. Oh, no. My Simon favorite Ador. line. My favorite line is the Maggie Smith line. I'm a crick edit. <laughs> I'm a crick edit. Yes. I'm a crick edit. Mm. The whole That's Maggie it. Smith shit was had me on the. Oh floor. my God. That shit well, is that was for theater people. Yes. I feel it's like so funny. that was one hundred percent. And and a great uh, prime of machine Brody. Um, yeah, uh, so I'll good. tell my prime of machine Brody story. Friend later. of the podcast. Friend Maggie of the Smith. podcast. Uh, Magoo, <laughs> we call her Magoo. Uh, <laughs> deep friend of the pod. Um, Dame Maggie, yeah. if you come to L.A., Dame uh, egg, egg rolls Dame are Maggie. on us. I don't know why. <laughs> Dame Magoo, we love you. Um, so I want to hear y'all's top threes, and then I want to hear your three like kind of dream roles that you're feeling for this. But go three, two, one. I I, I don't like to hear your okay. first one first. Scott, you need to go first because I realize I threw out God half of my notes. Damn first, it! And I have to put them on uh, my... ah, it'll take me two <laughs> seconds. But go. Um, okay, I'm gonna go. Number three is um, for whom the southern bell tolls. I just laughed. Nice. I just thought it was just 
It's just funny, and it it's got a, it's got a little bite to it. Um, yeah. Then I'll go um, uh, Vanya and Sonya and Masha and Spike. And nice. then my favorite uh, was uh, Marriage of Bet and Boo. Nice. Yeah, you had said that. Yeah. Right. That, I, that's that's a good one. That one sat with me weird for personal reasons, sure. but like I want to, mm-hmm. I do want to see it. Yeah. Or maybe, or like put my hands on it somehow. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Just want to put my hands. I want to put my finger inside of it. Um, what? Uh, with consent. Uh, CJ. <laughs> with consent. And this is just reading enjoyment. This is to me. You create your top three is your own definition of what that means. But I, the, what I do it off of is like what I think has survived the best, what I got most out of, and what I feel like is like if somebody if somebody but, came to me and was like what are your favorite plays by this person? Those are the three I would say. Okay. But we're doing the top three performance things separately. Yeah. Is what yeah I'm dream roles are different. All right. Okay. Well, uh, three is sister Mary Ignatius. Yeah. And, uh, Two was Laughing mm. Wild, and one was Vanya and Sonia and Masha mm. and your mom. Wow, your your nice. list is incorrect. Alvin, Simon, Theodore, and Dave. Yeah. Your list is incorrect. <laughs> Frank Furter, Brad, Janet, Bage. and Rocky. Um, Jay Bage. I want to give a shout out to, uh, to Vanya, Sonia, Masha, and Spike as my number four because it was close. And it, it almost got into my top three, Ooh. and it just didn't. Number three, uh, sister, Mary, mm-hmm. Ignatius. Mm-hmm. I, uh-huh. you know, it, it, I don't have a trauma, traumatic uh, religious background. Uh, I have my have own. Enough for all of I've it. had my, yeah, I, I, I had my own struggles with it my own ways, but mine is not a traumatic story at all. And I feel like, it, to me, it was a little too easy, but it could just be a fun de-evolution on stage that I would love to see sometime. So I like that. Uh, gave it number three. Mm-hmm. Number two, Laughing Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, love it. Just a great piece. Uh, that that it, I have a personal history with it. Great shit. And number one, in a surprising uh, takeover of my entire bracket, Betty's Summer vacation do me a favor go read this play it's really fun it's really good and it's weird and it's kind of it's the it's like i said it's the killer joe of the (laughs) durang anthology all right i like it all right check it out um yeah so those are my those are my tops let's hear dream rolls give me three oh man two or three man i I, well vanya because i just that monologue does slay me though uh, and I think it's a perfect build for it. That's the one that yeah. I was most so good um, drawn to. Um, and then so many of the just the the secondary, you know, um, you know, uh, Carl and the marriage of Bet and Boo, like just this mean motherfucker, just yeah. through yeah. the whole thing. And you'd be great at that. Um, yeah. uh, those yeah. are the ones that I was drawn to, um, drawn to the most. Yeah, that's where that's where I'll leave that. Hell yeah. Scott, I want to see you play Sister Mary Ignatius. I'd fucking kill that shit. Fucking kill it. Make a great woman. <laughs> I make a great woman. Oh, my God. Uh, I just want to see you in an uncostume. What are you thinking, Siege? What are your three? Uh, three is Sister Mary. Um, and then two is Laughing Wild, the woman mm, in that. Yeah. Um, and then first, okay, I initially thought I wanted to play Masha. Until I got to Sonia's font, uh, Sonia's monologue. 
dialogue oh, on the phone. Oh, and it, that just great. killed me. And we didn't even talk about that. Oh, it's so, so good. good. That was the one where I was like, oh my God, I've been there. I just, I, but both of those characters are fucking great. But also I love Cassandra in it too, because if I played Cassandra, it would be like a loud blonde Chris Farley in the frame of a five, six <laughs> word. Number three is Vanya. Uh, mm -hmm. number two is George of, uh, of Actors Nightmare. Mm, yeah. Oh God. Uh -huh. I think, okay. uh, and then number one is the man in Laughing Wild. I agree with you, Siege. Mm. I think it'd be really fun to learn that whole thing and, and, and put it up. It's, uh, it's fun for an actor. Yeah. He writes for actors because he he's yeah. an actor. Yeah. And there's some <laughs> weird stuff in that, that I would probably cut if I was directing it or if I was like in mm -hmm. it, I would like ask to, cause there's, there's some moments where you're like, okay, you don't need to say that, but he's also commenting on it. I get it. Blah, 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 blah. All that good stuff. Hey, do you guys have any LA theater spotlights you want to hit before? Uh, Nathan C. Jones is playing through July 4th. Yeah. With the blank theater. Cool. Blank theater, Nathan C. Jones. Uh, I don't think I have any others. There's there's a lot of great people doing a lot of great work out there. And, you know, if you're so, an artist who is out there and you're not making work right now and you're not uh, working on scripts and, and Zoom readings and stuff like that, good. Take your break. Relax. You don't need Please. to be. Yeah, not everyone needs to be doing that right now. And if you are doing it, great. That's so cool. Awesome. That's so great. Like all good things. But however you're handling this time, as long as it's full of rest and love and all those good things, then that makes us happy. So yeah. thank you for joining us for our episode on Christopher Durang. This has been Vanya Sonia podcast and Spike. We'll be back next week. And next time we are doing uh, our sixth episode uh, thing, which we will be covering plays that are movies. So we've chosen an amazing list that I cannot wait. Uh, we'll we'll put it on our Instagram, so we'll announce it in a few days what those movies will be, and we're all watching them, and we'll be live texting uh, to each other to get some ideas of what we're going to talk about, and it's going to be so fucking fun. I'm so excited. Yes. Oh my god, I can't wait. Yes. Um, uh, please follow us on all of our things. Instagram, Twitter. Uh, hit us up on our Gmail if you want to correct us, tell us what's up, anything like that. Thank you so much to Pamela Quinn for our song that we will <laughs> exit out to. And also to Ryan Thomas, Thomas Johnson, Johnson. Who yeah. a badass and made us our dope-ass theme song, oh, which so good. I still sometimes just put on to listen to because I'm like, well, we're legit. <laughs> listen, to our, um, listen to our amazing song. Yes. And I do want to just <laughs> get, go ahead because I had somebody who listens to the pod say, you should tell what the next few things are on the pod. And I said, okay, great. So we're doing plays that are movies. And then on August 1st, we're dropping our check off. For my birthday. Yes. So that is going to be our CJ celebration Ugh. episode. Since we finished with Banya, Sonia, Masha, and Spike, we wanted to throw down on some legit, legit. check off. We're going to be reading some No, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. And we have an entire. Is Jesus vomiting? Um, and all of the ASMR oh, it, listeners have just away. gotten uh, checked out. So, Love um, y'all. Be, be safe. Yes, uh, take Black care. Lives Matter. Hashtag Black Happy Lives. Pride. Fourth of July. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, fuck the Fourth of July. But also, yeah, um, everybody, you are incredible. Thank you for being I got something. To to I got something. Uh, I got something. And as always. I got something. Wear a mask. Kay. Hashtag okay. wear a fucking mask. Let's hear it. Okay. Let's wear hear it. a mask. That's right. 
Oh my Hashtag god. Wear a oh my god. Mask. Oh my god, wear your motherfucking uh, mask. We'll see you next time. Wear a mask, don't die. Peace out! Stay sexy. Bye. Just fine.